You're now listening to Sanity at the Movies, Valentine's Day edition. For all you ladies and for all you very manly men who don't wear undershirts, this is the podcast for you. I hope none of you guys wore your wife beaters today. No. Uh Uh-uh. Good. Only every other day. Only every other day. Well, not on the day that we record this, (laughs) the movie that legend has it made the sales of undershirts plummet because there's that famous scene where Clark Gable takes off his shirt and is he wearing an undershirt under there? No, he is not. That guy's got (laughs) way too much (laughs) testosterone flowing through his (laughs) veins. The shirt would probably just melt (sighs) a little bit like Claudette Colbert. Guys, we're talking about it happened one night. It's happening one morning here in the lovely Studio B. I'm Nathan. I'm your humble and obedient host. We've got Benjamin Souls, you know, talk about manly, talk about testosterone, talk about a guy who puts his woman on a budget, <laughs> tells her how to dunk a donut, all that kind of stuff, tries to mansplain hitch hiking to her. Yep. And then it, it hilariously turns, fails. Hilariously he doesn't fails. doesn't have legs. Yeah, because he doesn't have legs. Well, you can't hitchhike without legs. That's what I always say. <laughs> well, anyway, did I, I said I'm me. I'm Nathan. And that's you. You're Ben. It's me. The preacher who's a teacher of righteousness right there. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. I, 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 have, I, have I ever gotten that right? No. For this year, the teacher, couple who's a times, teacher maybe. of Sanity. cinema. Yes. Cinema. 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 Yeah. There you go. Yeah, see, there you go. Even, see, it's harder than you think, Jake. <laughs> yeah. We're going to talk about righteousness <laughs> in cinema today. <laughs> yes, that's yes. exactly right. The wages of cinema. Ben, talk about Jake <laughs> first, though. It's Jake. He's a pastor. He's a master of cinema. How manly yeah. do you think Jake is? Like when his wife tries to buy candy, does he just rip the money out of her hand? No, he just calmly smiles, he takes the candy in his hand, and then it melts because testosterone. Hey, yeah. yeah testosterone <laughs> does melt candy. And he's like, honey, haven't you learned your lesson? <laughs> there you go. Don't give me candy. <laughs> it just melts. It just melts. <laughs> I would think that if Jake was a sweetie pie, that's what would happen. Isn't sweetie pie-ness the quality that makes candy melt? I really don't know why candy melts. it's not an area of my mastery (laughs) oh man it's like sherlock holmes you have a very limited range of things about which you're a total expert there we go everything else you're you you have no idea you discard things that aren't useful that's sherlock holmes oh yeah i just haven't read enough Sherlock Holmes. he has an attic his mind is an attic it can only hold so many things Huh. And so he discards anything that is not pertinent to his craft. And so he has an astonishing amount of ignorance about any number of things. Common knowledge. <laughs> what are you things? trying to Common say? Common knowledge things. Right? <laughs> and just as he has an extraordinary amount of expertise about anything that might be useful to his craft. Well, yes. I just have to find out what my craft is and I'll match that description. <laughs> well, Ben, right now your craft is crafting hmm. a intriguing hook for why people might be interested in this movie maybe people i think this movie i'd rank it just believe like you got your top tier everybody's heard of them citizen kane most people if they're they watch movies have maybe seen them citizen kane right. casablanca and then you got your stuff like yo jimbo that you have to actually really like movies to watch mm-hmm. i'd put this near nearer to the casablancas than the yo jimbos like maybe mm-hmm. just under like a lot of people have really heard of this. It's on lists. So it's bandied about as the greatest romantic comedy of all time. It's bandied about as the beginning of the screwball comedy. Although I don't think there's much that's really all that screwball about this. Not not mm-hmm. like the bringing up baby. Everybody's talking over each other and running all over the place mm-hmm. and being crazy. 
kind yeah. of way. But Ben, how, what is this movie that we're talking about today? If someone's just like, I haven't heard of it. Well, It Happened One Night is a really fun romantic comedy with Clark Gable and Claudette Colbert. Colbert, Colbert. yes. It's just pretty cool. It's one of those old black and white movies that feels weirdly modern in 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 the way that in terms of the way it's made. Kind yeah. of it kind of has this naturalism. It's like everywhere you go is somewhere that it looks like a real place in the movie. It's 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 a road movie. It's no, a it's weird. Yeah, what's weird is that or not maybe not weird, maybe only weird to modern sensibilities mm-hmm. is that the 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 circumstance, well, not even the circumstances. It's really just the bus ride. Mm-hmm. The bus ride yeah. is as prosaic as can be, but the acting is not. No, and no. Acting is not. Script is not. The script is not. And the actual circumstances surrounding it are not. No. So, it's just sort of like... It all reflects a like social of, structure and a society and certainly a uh, understanding of sexuality that is not well, and, now. Yeah. No. And, and also just a understanding of performance and realism yes that is foreign to the way that movies are made today it's very hmm. is capra doing a thing yeah um well mm-hmm. and people don't know i guess a lot of people have seen gone with the wind i don't believe either one of you gentlemen has seen gone i've with not the wind. this was i'm pretty sure i could be wrong about this but i'm pretty sure this was my first time seeing clark gable <laughs> this is your, your first time same. walking into the gable the king of the king of what was this? The king of cinema or the king of... The king of movie, yeah. I movies forget. or I something should, like that. On, on tap, but, I don't know, look it up. Yeah, I mean, he was the popular star of his era, arguably bigger. I don't know if arguably bigger, but right up there with your Cary Grants and... People. King of Hollywood. The king of Hollywood, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, men wanted to be him, women wanted to be with him. He's He was like the dude. And when Gone with the Wind came out, the women would not let... the them hire anyone but clark gable like when the book we're gonna make this book into the movie everybody was just like oh the sexiest romantic hero of all time of course it's got to be clark gaber or Car- clark gaber gaber, <laughs> gaber. <laughs> they were like how about clark gable <laughs> someone you've actually heard of and said, okay <laughs> i really wanted to be clark gaber though <laughs> the local plumber here in poughkeepsie so yeah clark gable huge star you watch old looney tunes things you'll see him parodied all the time yeah he's actually the inspiration for a very famous looney tunes character which we'll talk about here in a minute but 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 outside of gone with the what's that no 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 much more famous than that this movie in particular we'll get to it though i'll let you guys guess you guys just want to guess right now yeah i do want to guess right now and i can't it's not like it's oh yosemite sam no 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 He had a little of that. What does he famously to him. do in the middle of this movie? It, so it is Bugs Bunny. It is, yeah, exactly. What name does he say? He says Bugs. I forget who, what character is named Bugs or who he calls Bugs, but he says huh. Bugs. He chews on a carrot. He talks about Bugs when he's like dealing with what's his face about the... Dealing with Shapely. Shapely, yeah. Shapely is my name and that's how I like him. (laughs) (laughs) Very clever. Um, (laughs) Yeah, when he decides to escalate the whole reward thing into actually I'm kidnapping her and we're going to kill her and there's a lot more money in this ransom thing than, yeah, he's all all talking about bugs. So Chuck Jones and a bunch of famous... Warner Brothers animators have said, have been on record multiple times as saying Clark Gable was one of the big inspirations for Bugs Bunny, particularly in this movie. The scene where he eats the carrots and she doesn't want to eat the carrots and then she comes around and she eats the carrots. Very famous 
from this movie. Like uh, everybody would have known. Oh, Clark Gable. He's the guy that leans on a fence, chomps on his carrot and talks with his mouth full. And that's exactly what Bugs- gets away with it. So Bugs Bunny is actually doing a spoof it, yeah. of this movie. So there's a fun. That's, that's there's a fun tidbit. But what you actually see is you see a lot of great Gable direct spoofs where people will suddenly have the teeth and the mustache. And right. That's what I uh-huh. instantly pictured when you said that. It's yeah. one of those things. If you've ever watched the, one of those old cartoons where you're like, whoa, I don't get any of these references. Yeah. This is all just like, and then you see a Hepburn or somebody you do know and you, you suddenly realize they're doing celebrities from the time. Yeah. And, and your kids, if they're watching it, are just completely perplexed and wondering where Elmer Fudd is. But yeah, and that classic villain too that Hitchcock liked to use and that he's in there all the time. We talked about him. Oh, which one? James oh. Mason? No. James. Claude Rains. Is it Claude Rains? No, no he, he's, Claude he's a villain in um, what, Notorious? No, he's kind of like a, a sort of a feat foreign. All right. Which, what Hitchcock movie is he in? Uh, he's in The Man You Knew Too Much, I think. Oh, Peter Lorre. Peter Lorre. Yes, yes. Oh, 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 Thank you. Yeah, Peter yeah, Lorre is always yeah. in those People still parodies. want Peter Lorre to be in their parodies. Mm-hmm. Like, right. Every once in a while, Tim Burton will do something, and we got to get somebody in to do the Peter Lorre part for this thing. Brave Little Toaster had a Peter Lorre. Corpse hmm. Bride had a Peter Lorre type. Mm-hmm. He's just a type, kind of like Bella Lugosi. When someone tries to talk like a vampire, they just talk like Bella Lugosi. When somebody wants to play a little creep, they talk mm-hmm. like Peter Lorre. Uh, Lori, who's fantastic, but he's not who we're talking. We're talking about arguably the opposite of Peter Lori today, mm-hmm. Clark Gable. Uh, is there anything else we need to say in terms of setup? I mean, this is one of the iconic movies where spoiler. We're going to talk spoilers, but here's a spoiler: uh, the the woman runs away from her wedding ceremony at the last possible minute. Like, yeah, we've done that a million times now, mm-hmm. right? I'm not but gonna, we hadn't when this one came. No, out. No, this this really. Huh. Collated, you can find. I mean, I'm sure those kinds of stories are as old as the hills and or older, but you can find. There's a silent movie I'm thinking of, a Harold Lloyd, mo- Lloyd movie, where you know his girl's about to get married to some stiff, and then he runs in, and you know after a big chase on top of vehicles and stuff, he runs in at the last minute and grabs her and runs out with her. So you, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like they came up with this stuff but but like any iconic thing, they kind of put it all together in one really appealing package, and then it's the thing that everybody's ripped off mm-hmm. ever since um, I, I would say i mean just to go back to a pitch for this movie why should you watch it well if you like philadelphia story at all this is the same kind of it has some of the same kind of rawness about hey man woman yes it does. that except it may be even i guess it's i feel like it's more objectionable in its way it's a different kind of energy that's for sure yeah but in a different kind of writing and a different kind of yes. all kinds of things but yeah. it, it definitely is like a stark contrast to the way that we, our, our romantic comedies, uh, uh-huh. play things out today. It's, it's still the same kind of taming of the shrew story. Yes, it is. That's right. right. It is. And yeah. that, that, that's something that it's a template for a reason. Shakespeare did it and uh, a lot of early Hollywood did it and did it better than we can possibly do it. Yeah, I love Taming of the Shrew movies. And the reason is I hate women. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it. No, actually, I really like Battle of the Sex movies when they're done well because they're really fun to watch with my wife and we're both nudging each other the whole time. And she's (laughs) mad at me when the guy gets a point and I'm mad at her when the girl gets a point. And we just have a lot of fun with those kinds of movies. (laughs) And she she accuses me of everything wrong that 
what's his face the big moment in this movie is actually when they're on the bus and claudette colbert has no choice but to go sit down and then he just puts a hand out like he's, like he's gonna grope her or whatever <laughs> that's great meredith punched me in the shoulder <laughs> like now now he just made her move his, his arm yes that he was did the point yes, that he was did. all it was about so that he'd have an excuse to wake up and notice her yes he did but uh you know <laughs> it was pretty all right, we all had the same thought. Yeah, the, the thought was there and it's not it's because a- it got past frank cap <laughs> no, this is pretty clever. Yeah, well, pretty so the, the this movie was, we were talking about what to do for Valentine's Day, and we're going to do a couple things for Valentine's Day, including, I believe, a, a, a patron choice. But last year, we did Philadelphia Story, which I think our audience really enjoyed precisely because it had the, some real masculine energy and feminine energy going on, and it was interesting to talk about. And we were trying to think about another one. We thought about doing some John Wayne movie or something, but we decided on this one because it is it's that's the afi top i think number 35 best movie of all time american movie of all time it's routinely listed as one of the great romantic comedies as i said at the top i mean it's just it's about as iconic as you get with this kind of stuff so without quite entering into the casablanca territory or the so had you guys seen this movie before did you bring any baggage you said uh, neither one of you has seen a clark gable that's right yep Nope. I guess the only baggage I could have brought would have been with Capra. Right. Yeah, same. So, and I, there's nothing to say about it except I've seen... You've probably seen all the capra e Capra movies, all the Capricorn. Uh, all the most Capra, Capra <laughs> movies mm. I've seen. The Mr. D's. Mr. S- Mr. D's, Mr. Smith's. Mr. S- uh, Can't take it, it with you. It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. What about, I guess we've probably all seen Arsenic and Old Lace. That tends to be one that people have seen. I feel like I've seen that one. But is that actually Capra? Been, that is Capra, yeah. While. I saw it. I saw that recently. I really couldn't stand it. I, I hate that movie. And I don't know why. It just doesn't play for me at all. Like, it's just, yeah. it's foreign to me. Like, they're just doing something that was funny for them or something. I don't know. It's weird. But. Yeah, I was sorry not to like it. Yeah. It's atypical. And this movie is atypical. This this movie is actually much more typical of what Capra was doing at the time and of a lot of movies that he did. But the ones that have tended to remain in the public kind of consciousness have been the the more socially conscious ones. And of course, It's a Wonderful Life is all we really think about, right. um, which is a much more serious. Well, I don't have to explain It's a Wonderful Life to anyone, so I won't. But this movie is feels atypical when you go back to it it's like this isn't really what i know capra for right you kept ex- you keep expecting there to be more of a kind of working man type thing and there is it's all there as subtext there, mm-hmm. there is a class thing but it doesn't make a as big of a deal out of it as you as i kept expecting it to right yeah well some of it though really comes down to in my mind just casting yeah right um you could say direction you could say direction because mm-hmm. it, sort of the way that Gable pl- plays uh, his character is of a piece with all of the the common working men who stand up and are actual Broadway performers mm-hmm. on the bus while they're singing the flying trapeze. It's all a very heightened performance level. Whereas if you imagine immediately swapping Gable out for Jimmy Stewart, you have a much more uh, down to earth. Much more Midwestern feeling. Mid- mm-hmm. Yeah, it's more Midwestern. It's also just more... Uh, has a he would give a nuance to his performance that would just have more realism about mm-hmm. it. So it's like you know Gable shifts. He's he's not playing a character. He's playing Clark Gable, the actor who can shift personas on a dime. And so suddenly he is the guy who is kidnapping 
if I were Clark Gable and I were able to suddenly become the guy who was kidnapping this girl, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how would I do it? If I were Clark Gable and suddenly I was a wife-beating plumber, right? how would I do it, uh-huh. right? The, nobody can do that unless you're- Clark mm-hmm. Gable. Clark, Clark Gable, Gable, right? 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 <laughs> uh, Jimmy Stewart would have added enough nuance to that that it would have felt like- uh, Jimmy Stewart's uh, doing his best impression of a plumber or whatever, and it's funny right. for a different yeah, reason. Or the, or this, yeah, this character is at least, and oh man, it's like, I'm not sure they're going to get away with it. Mm. But that is not how any moment in this movie plays out. It's just like, oh no, now they're instantly the plumber and the plumber's wife, both right. of them suddenly. Right. Now they're instantly, now he's instantly the gangster. Yeah. Now the the sailor that we've seen in the background shot can suddenly jump up and sing and he's going to have all the theatricality that somebody would have on a stage. Yeah. By the way, people are pretty sure the third guy, can I join in now? Capra. Is it? Yeah. Oh, cool. But I don't. I don't know that we've. I, I have confirmed that as of this listening. I, but I, I think you're right. Yeah. Having having just read his Wikipedia, seen some photos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's him. Um, pretty sure. So I was going to say. I mean, wh- one thing about Gable is it's he's like the archetypal version of the street smart guy. Mm. That's why he can do those things because he's so street smart. Oh, he knows the gangsters. He knows the plumbers. Like he's he is like he's so working man. That he's transcended working right, man. and become a prince or something. <laughs> right? No, really. I, I, I think, I think that that's what he's doing, and the whole movie has that flavor of like, if you really understood working man stuff, you would know your way around everything. Well, and if you're a reporter, if you're, you have to, and you have to be able to in, infiltrate any number of yeah. classes and s- societies, yeah. then maybe being Clark Gable would go a long way. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it would. Yeah, well, it's kind of like it's kind of like J- Jimmy Stewart's version, except minus really. The bitterness <laughs> in end of Jimmy Stewart in, in Philadelphia, Philadelphia story. story. Oh, Sorry, and in a lot of things. In, in It's a Wonderful Life, actually. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's 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 interesting. I mean, I think that's how Capra was having, again, having just read his Wikipedia thing. Like, he grew up as an alley rat and then went to college and was like, oh, the whole world is just became available to me because now I know about it all. And then did a bunch of crazy itinerant jobs and lived in alleys and stuff. For a long time before he got a break as a film director so he's kind of semi-autobiographical all the time yes and self-aggrandizing all the time and self-aggrandizing <laughs> all the time he likes the idea that he was clark gable <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah he does capra i think his most honest movie is it's a wonderful life because i think yes. he feels about himself the way that jimmy stewart feels about himself at his worst in that movie like capra just uh-huh. he wanted i mean i don't know Capra's an interesting guy, very self-mythologizing, which doesn't mean anything you said was wrong. It just means mm-hmm. Capra liked to play those things up. Mm-hmm. He wanted to be seen as a man of the people. Mm-hmm. He, he liked all the stories of, you know, you can't wade into the stories of these movies and not find all these serendipitous things. And we had to change the script and we came up with the line and Capra just loves that kind of thing. <laughs> and, and, and basically it's all like, I had to come up, if I'm being honest, yeah. you know, it's, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. I had me, to save the day. Frank Capra came up with a great idea. It's, it's a fun tension in his movies. Cause he was, I mean, apparently kind of ashamed of his low origins, but at the same time felt guilty about being ashamed. <laughs> it's like, that's what I come from. Which but is, I don't want to stay there. Which is fascinating <laughs> because I always feel like he kind of hates the working man and kind of loves the working... Like, he loves the working man as an idea, but then he wants to mock Ernie the cop. Like, some of the tension and it's a wonderful... Some of the wonderful tension and it's, it's a wonderful life comes from the fact that I don't know whether Capra likes any of these people, actually. And it, it 
it makes the movie more profound, as we've talked about many times, than Ernie's than, the cab driver. Ernie's the cab driver. Sorry, Bert the cop. Mm-hmm. Uh, My brain was tripping. Yeah, yeah, I figured out why. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, I mean, he does violate uh, all the characters, and it's a wonderful life. The druggist, certainly the the librarian and the school teacher and the people that Jimmy Stewart that become mm-hmm. his adversaries. It's like, does Capra actually have sympathy for people? This is actually, this movie is one of his more sympathetic. There's not really anyone in the movie besides our our stars and her dad. Mm-hmm. and the, Mr. Really, Shapely. Yeah, and Mr. Shapely. Mr. Shapely, uh, yes. Who we'll talk about. Uh, any other, so I think the context bus has rolled in and Ben was driving it and he was giving us some Capra context. There you go. Uh, anything else we, we need to know about old Frank? I, I've just, I thought it was interesting to know he was uh, an outspoken conservative. That is really interesting. He, he, he opposed FDR's governorship. He opposed him, his presidency. He, he did not like what FDR did. But at the same time, he was really invested in patriotism. Right. You know, he made this famous series of war propaganda films during World War II while he was in the army, which he enrolled in because, I mean, as he said, out of a sense of guilt, like, well, being in Hollywood makes you forget who you actually are. Gives you this sense of, this phony sense of privilege that you don't really have. So he wanted to to enlist, and he made these war films called called the Why We Fight series. Yes, very famous. Yeah, and I've never seen any of them, but he he had some actual. He did actually do some of this stuff, like for the working man, so to speak, and decried the the downside of film into more sexual, more violent. Yeah, stuff. I want you to read the quote that you you dug up that you were telling me yeah. about off mic. I will say. I think some of the backlash against Capra is unfair because people today just don't like anyone who gets a leg up on them. And so they see someone like Capra as paternalistic because he does see himself as someone who made it, as someone who knows what he's about, mm-hmm. and as someone who's not the same as the working man. Like, I'm going to give a leg up to my friends, <coughs> and they're different than me, but I'd like them to become me, mm-hmm. which modern progressives just can't stand anything along that line. So he feels paternalistic, but I don't know that if you step back and look at it from God's point of view, if you think about it biblically, that there's anything wrong. In fact, I do know that there's nothing wrong in and of itself with an attitude of, I am the father figure and you are not, and I am going to help you. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But we just tend to really resent that sort of thing these days. Yeah. You want me to go ahead and read this quote? Yeah, you got to read it in your best <laughs> gangster voice. I will. I just it's, just, it's a kind of quote that lends itself to a gangster voice. So, this, is, this voice. was Capra writing in the 70s, I think. Yeah, 71 and his autobiography. The winds of change blew through the dream factories of make-believe, tore at its crinoline tatters, the hedonists, the homosexuals, the hemophiliac bleeding hearts, the god-haters, the quick-buck artists who substituted shock for talent, all cried, shake them, rattle them, God is dead, long live pleasure. Nudity? Yeah! Wife swapping? Yeah! Liberate the world from prudery. Emancipate our films from morality. Kill for thrill! Shock! Shock! To hell with the good man! Dredge up his evil! Shock! Shock! <laughs> Get him, Frank! <laughs> and then and then he... Okay, one more. I'm not going to read this in a gangster voice. He added, quote, Practically all the Hollywood filmmaking of today is stooping to cheap, salacious pornography... In a crazy bastard idea, <laughs> is this parent parent child warning? Cheap, salacious pornography and a crazy bastardization of a great art to compete for the patronage of deviates and masturbators. Unquote. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't like New Hollywood very much, <laughs> <laughs> and I I respect him for that. Yeah, me too. Anger, <laughs> me too. <laughs> and then later on, he became it started started or resumed 
being Catholic probably resumed. But it's not clear that he was. You he's know, an. I don't think you said he's an Italian Christian. immigrant. Did you say he's an immigrant? He's, he, yeah. I, I don't think that I did. But yeah. he was an Italian immigrant at age five, and yeah, returned to at least to attendance at the Catholic Church and professed some kind of faith in something. Which, yeah. In other words, I think that mystical dumb stuff and it's a wonderful life corresponds to some kind of vague theism. Right. He's certainly someone who life. believed in God, believed in a moral order, yeah. believed in old old fashioned values. That's that, right. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. I mean, it is fascinating, the hypocrisy, though, too. I mean, I take him, I, I, I think that quote, I think he means it. Yes. But, and I'm going to follow this thread through Gable and Colbert because they're both similar, especially Colbert. It's fascinating how people will use things like sexuality to get a leg up, no pun intended. And then get on their moral high and then, horse. And then climb all the way on their shapely legs to their moral, moral high horse where the, it's like, we're going to make a whole movie and it happened one night that winks at all this stuff as, as salaciously as we can. And then when people are like, hey, let's stop winking. Let's just do it. We're going to be mad at them. There's something hypocritical about that. There's also something like, it's not all bad, I guess. I don't know. We can litigate it if we want to. A man in, is allowed to, in 1971, One. repent of being 40 years younger or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. And once you see like, oh, oh, we, we winked at all this stuff. And then everybody was like, let's stop winking. I did that and I'm responsible. Yeah. Mm. I I am a contributor to this problem. Yeah. Mm. You can be mad that people aren't uh, stopping at the arbitrary place that you stopped. Or you can accept the fact that, well, you, you were part of opening doors here and pushing things forward. So Right. I mean, Captain Capra's defense, he largely wasn't. At once he once he became successful and had his own abil- the ability to do what he want. He did things like It's a Wonderful Life and Mr. D's movies that are by and large not salacious. Oh, I, sorry, I was just going to interject. It was from what the century says. It was a couple films after this one, after it happened one night, that he started getting an idea that he ought to communicate themes and morals. Right. That his films ought to be about that. Yeah. It was more. Of, it was almost like a. Like a god thing, like people would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is what that's how he would put it. Capra. His his own self mythologizing. Like, yeah. this is what films need to show people that God loves them and that I love them. And he has a quote like that. Yeah. Well, he's a he's a really interesting guy. Let me follow that thread through Claudette Colbert real quick because she's she's like the poster child for somebody who climbed up the ladder using sex and then sort of flipped the script once she was there. She was born in 1903, got her start in shows and on Broadway, was really famous for her legs, which this movie uh, makes use of. She told some story about having an apartment or something where she had to go up and down stairs, up and down stairs every day. And she said that was what gave her her legs, which is what gave her her career. So she gets cast on Broadway in all these minor parts, generally always playing French maids, like people just wanted the the beautiful French maid in, in all those, if you think about like the drawing room comedies of the time. So she'd get cast kind of in the the sexy small part, really resented it, tried to change her, tried to start pronouncing her name Colbert just to get away from the French association, but that never caught on. And then Hollywood was like, hey, this lady's pretty beautiful and willing to play these kinds of parts. So she kind of became a sexy icon of the early 30s, the pre-code era before there was a bunch of censorship. So you can find very salacious Claudette Colbert stuff from her early career leading up until about 1934. And the worst one actually comes from that deviant, hypocritical, pervert Cecil B. DeMille, just an, an evil man. 
if, if all you've ever seen is Ten Commandments, then you should already know that because Ten Commandments is full of salacious stuff. But but also all of like just the most hypocritical. I'm going to wrap myself in this the Bible flag and then make like the most salacious things I possibly can. So he did a movie called I believe Sign of the Cross. <laughs> Where Claudette Colbert, you know, plays the sexy empress, the wife of Nero or whatever, and she bathes in milk and she's naked and all these kittens are drinking the milk and Cecil B. DeMille was just off camera saying, yeah, baby. And, and it's just one of the more salacious things that you can find from an era of a lot of salacious stuff. Like people understood sex back in the 1930s. Let's not uh, be confused about that point. But then around 1934, she gets control kind of of her image and she stops doing that stuff to the extent that she didn't actually want to do the leg scene in this movie. They brought in a, a leg double for her. And then she was like, wait a second, this, this leg double stinks. That's, that's not how my legs look. Like her, her pride wouldn't let her let the leg double do it. But, but after this, she, did, she does a sharp turn into wife roles and kind of mother roles. And actually, you can find a lot of actresses from that era that did exactly the same thing. And some of that's just the production code coming in in 1934. Like this, this movie isn't, was released in 1934. It's on the cusp. Like the production codes actually become a thing. The Hayes Code, like the, sen- the censors are out, out now, but they haven't quite got the power that they're going to get. So if this movie was made a year later or even two years later, it would not be the same movie at all. And maybe if it was made a year before, it would be even racier. But it's right in that sweet spot where it can be exactly what it is. But if you think about stars that people know, like Joan Crawford, Betty Davis, Myrna Loy, Catherine Hepburn, Ginger Rogers, certainly, they kind of all had this trajectory of playing really sexy kind of roles and then playing moms hmm. somewhere in the late thirties, early forties. They all, they all like their, their hair changed from like slinky vamp hair and flapper hair into like the Bobby grandma hair. It's kind of funny, actually, hmm. if you track how maternal and sort of what we think of as 1950s, all these women suddenly became both in their on and off screen personas after getting where they got by being very, what's the word? Bad. So, yeah, I do not recommend that you watch The Sign of the Cross by Cecil B. DeMille or anything by that guy. We should just talk about Ten Commandments someday. Or maybe we shouldn't, but I really hate Ten. I, re- I really hate Cecil B. DeMille. And I think you should too, dear listener. Claudette Colbert kind of embodies a, in this movie, embodies a, a type that I think men really responded to then and now. But particularly, all those actresses I just mentioned, they all kind of play this the same character and it's like a, a character that has three layers and the first layer is like elegance and kind of breeding and you know poise and class and then if you dig under that layer you'll find a wild cat who's just gonna claws out gonna scratch you and then if you dig under that layer you find a kitten i mean it's just that's the formula for mm-hmm. for yeah what people wanted from their their female stars at that time and speaking of what people wanted let's talk a little bit more about clark gable he was born in 1901 only lived to 1960 before he had a heart attack and died he's a little bit like we've talked about sean connery before i forget in one context but he is one of those guys who had a bit of a rough time of it and always wanted to be an actor interestingly but traveled across the land taking jobs doing you know in lumber yards and performing at tent shows and 
circuses and second tier theater companies, just whatever work he could do and kind of living the life that you'd want him to live to play this character or to play any kind of rugged He-Man. So he, he is bringing, as heightened as his performance is, he is bringing a lot of actual testosterone. He's not one of these guys that is just a pretty boy in real life. Uh, he became an extra in Hollywood, in early Hollywood and just worked his way up. Again, doing really salacious things in the pre-code area that I won't bother describing because no reason to send people looking for them. But it happened one night is one of his big claims to fame. And then, of course, uh, 1939, Gone with the Wind. Everybody in the world says nobody else can play this role. Not Cary Grant, not Gary Cooper. It has to be Clark Gable to play Rhett uh, Butler. Actually, the studio tried to get Gary Cooper, and Gary Cooper, fortunately for posterity, turned it down. Has one of those famous funny quotes. Gone with the Wind is going to be the biggest flop in Hollywood history. I'm glad it'll be Clark Gable who's falling flat on his nose, not Gary Cooper. Well, (laughs) 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 Well, Gary, (laughs) that's great. If you don't know, Gone with the Wind, the most successful movie of all time, adjusted for inflation, blows Star Wars. I shouldn't say blows Star Wars out of the water, but Star Wars, the new hope is the only thing that really even comes close. Billions of dollars, billion to everybody went and saw it. Your grandma still remembered the Civil War when Gone with the Wind came out. Your old grandma is 1939. We're not that far removed from that world. And people had nostalgia for it. And their parents had nostalgia. And they heard the stories growing up. So it's just connected to people. I don't know what the modern equivalent would be. But I know we have them. You know, the 80s craze that we just had where everybody was excited about 80s things. And wanted to tell their kids about these are the Dungeons and Dragons we used to play while we fought the Demogordons and rode things on our bike. Well, Gone with the Wind is that times a million. Plus, it's this crazy soap opera story and Clark Gable just rode that for the rest of his life. I mean, he still worked, but every time his popularity would kind of dip gone with the wind would be reissued. And then everybody would be like, Oh yeah, we love Clark Gable. (laughs) And so it just kept him popular. And he is the quickly publishing company's top 10 moneymaker. They do a poll where they, there was this very influential poll where they collated who are the top 10 moneymakers and it influenced what studios, who studios would hire. Uh, Clark Gable appeared on it 16 times from 1932 to 1943, and then 1947 to 1949, and then 1955. As late as 1955, he's still one of the top 10 moneymakers. And the only guys above him for, for all time are Tom Hanks, Gary Cooper, interestingly enough, Tom Cruise, Clint Eastwood, and... John Wayne. John Wayne, of course. John Wayne has 25 appearances on that list. 25 years. Hmm. John Wayne was one of the top five. But but Gable is just this... It's weird. I mean, maybe... I don't know. Do people like Gone with the Wind? Have all our listeners seen Gone with the Wind? I don't know. I mean, it's mostly canceled by now so yeah maybe maybe they haven't and if you haven't there's I mean, no- I've been more tempted to go to it since it's <coughs> been mostly canceled <laughs> but hmm. then I don't want to I mean it's like four hours four long. four hours of investment and I don't and it's about I mean it's another taming of the shrew only the shrew spoiler alert doesn't really get tamed so you're just putting up with a pretty unpleasant woman the whole time and Clark Gable sure does his darndest to tamer but that's not very likable either I mean, as as much as you might object to some of the depiction of masculinity, as much as one might object to some of the depiction of masculinity in this movie, this is the nicest Clark Gable movie, the one we're talking about today. Like, he's so down to earth in this movie and so naturalistic and so, like, kind and thoughtful (laughs) and, like, compared to his usual type. I mean, they they usually 
amp it up way more way way more and Rhett huh. Butler's like that and I mean I don't think that you could name a more outside of John Wayne I don't think you could name a more important kind of icon of mid-century masculinity I mean Cary Grant Jimmy Stewart sure but Clark Gable's like the masculine Humphrey Bogart. yeah Humphrey Bogart I mean you could name a handful but I guess Gable and Bogart Bogart's ugly Right. Clark, Clark Gable's like the one that women actually like. Silly women like Clark Gable. Like he's the romantic guy with the mustache and everything like that. He's the guy mm-hmm. that's being spoofed. Him and Errol Flynn kind of are combined into the the bad guy in the Rocketeer, the Timothy Dalton <laughs> plays. Kind of the, <laughs> the sneering Hollywood, golden age Hollywood star who's secretly a Nazi, who's just sort of talking like this and has a cigarette and everything. <laughs> like that type is just, that's. Clark Gable. And it's not sort of cut by any, his his masculinity isn't cut by any sort of real irony or something. Like John Wayne, he's a cowboy, so he sort of exists in another universe. And mm-hmm. Cary Grant is funny and ironic and kind of self-effacing in, in his way. Not so much in Philadelphia's story, but usually. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Stewart certainly is self-effacing and Midwestern. Insecure. And insecure. But Gable is just like... <laughs> nope. Alpha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... The uh, the word that kept coming to mind is one I learned back in our Red Pill episodes, mm. mogging. Mogging? Yeah. I don't remember that word. Is a- that Amog is the alpha man of the group, and mogging is when you are just alphaing absolutely everybody around. <laughs> You're putting your alpha-ness on display at all times. It's mogging. Yeah. There are other definitions of mogging, but that's the one that the... that. Hmm. Incel wiki will give you. <laughs> yeah, I mean he is. Uh, he does. He's that. I mean, I, I was thinking of those that those episodes and thinking of just game and how you you look into game and it's like if you mistreat a woman all the time, she'll love you. <laughs> that's that's like half of Clark Gable movies. <laughs> Again, this one profoundly sweet compared to a lot of Clark Gable movies. Like he he says he's sorry after he says he wants to break her neck if she <laughs> subjects him to any kind of buying a hamburger, <laughs> buying a hamburger, <laughs> he refuses to get her any food and tells her to go to sleep. And then when she lays down, goes and finds some carrots. Right. He's actually he's actually a, a big <laughs> sweetie pie. He only kind of spanks her in this movie. He doesn't completely spank her. I guess, depending on what your definition is. Here, hold this. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then at heart, he's just someone. (laughs) Yes, it was symbolic. He's he's really just a mystical softie who wants to feel what one with the stars on the beach. and He's not a mystical. He could find a woman like that. He's a poet. Oh, he's a mystical poet. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, Rhett Butler, if you watch Gone with the Wind, I mean, I suppose he's got, there's always, this kind of character always has to have his secret sort of soft spot, but but Rhett Butler is more like, I ought to take a horse whip to you, Scarlet. I should have done that a long time ago. And I don't know. It's, (laughs) he's something. Not, not, not the kind of star we have today. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> with George Clooney <laughs> well George Clooney you know <laughs> I think George Clooney has probably spanked no one in his career and if he did it was ironic or sexualized in a way that Clark Gables aren't so if that's the metric then <laughs> boy Clark Gable I mean but everybody loved him I mean, say what you will about what that says about society what that says about women of the time were they right were they wrong is every woman secretly want to be dominated yeah, but, 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 but. we could talk about it but the fact is Clark Gable was hugely popular among men among women above among everybody his popularity hasn't quite lasted like some of those other guys that we 
named outside of Gone with the Wind, but man, he was absolutely beloved right up until 1960 when he died of his hard living, essentially. Five wives or something? Five wives, yeah, burned through wives. His first wife was 17 years his senior. She was his acting coach. She paid to fix his teeth and do all these things to kind of help him become less stilted. And then their marriage fell apart. And the love of his life supposedly was Carol Lombard. That's a sad story. She actually died when her plane went down in the European theater while she was doing performance stuff, whatever they called it, the the shows like Bob Hope type. We're going to entertain the troops. Carol Lombard, very beloved, funny actress, died in a plane crash. I mean, you could find lots of sweet stories. Everybody tended to like Clark Gable that worked with him. Women liked him, obviously. But but I mean, like his female co-stars liked him. I mean, they slept with him a lot of the time. But you know, Gone with the Wind has a lot of sweet stories about his relationship with Hattie McDaniel, who plays the Black Mammy character in that movie. And um, like the set had segregated bathrooms and Gable just says, you want Gable, get rid of these. Like, I can't, I'm not, I'm not going to come to set until this is demolished. Stuff like that. Didn't want to per- attend the premiere of Gone with the Wind in Atlanta because Hattie McDaniel wasn't going to be allowed to come. Hattie McDaniel had to plead with him. Hey, Clark, go earn your accolades. It's okay. Of course, Hattie McDaniel famously first black woman to win an Oscar and maybe couldn't attend the ceremony or something like that. (laughs) So, don't let stupid BLM people tell you things haven't changed a little bit in our culture because they have. So, we talked about Capra. We talked about Clark Gable. We talked about Claudette Colbert. This movie, I guess we should talk about this movie. Again, Capra tends to mythologize a little bit. So, it's, it's hard to know exactly what's real and what's not but the story of this movie is that everybody hated it and thought they were making a big bomb and didn't think it was going to work and the script was never done and both claudette colbert and clark gable were on loan from other studios working at um columbia pictures which was a small rinky dink studio neither one of them wanted to be there they claudette colbert was pretty difficult to work with throwing temper tantrums and stuff like that kind of being her character claudette colbert got done with the movie and you know famously told her friends i just appeared in the biggest stinker ever just real ramshackle nobody thought they were doing anything exceptional at all and then it comes out and columbia doesn't even believe in it so they don't make a big push for it it kind of fails but then it catches on you know movies at those times didn't just hit 2000 screens at once like a spider-man movie will these days they they kind of traveled around the country so it begins to get word of mouth the word of mouth begins to build up not so much in big cities but in small town america people really loved this movie and felt represented by this movie and flattered by hey yeah we're like clark gable cool and if any rich heirish heiress brat comes on our territory we'll show her what's what as people People really responded to it, and it swept the Academy Awards. Uh, one, it's, it's one of only three films to win the all five major Academy Awards: Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Screenplay. The only other two are Titanic. No, because <laughs> Jack and Rose didn't win any awards for that. <laughs> oh, sorry. Actually, maybe Kate Winslet did win something for oh, that. I don't know. I think it's she might a have. Dumb joke. Uh, is Gone with the Wind one of them? No. No. Is Casablanca one of them? No. I, I just saw this Give the other day, but I can't remember. Uh, 1970s. It's not a movie that any of us probably love that much, but I imagine we've probably all seen it. I don't know. It's it's not one of my favorites. Huh. It's about an 
a mental institution. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah, for real. Never seen it. Jack Nicholson one, and yeah, then the lady it. that played Nurse Ratchet one. Yeah, and then the other one is a famous, uh, sweethearted, uh, tender drama <laughs> about a cannibalistic serial killer and oh, yeah. his FBI buddy. I forgot no about this. Yeah, Silence of the Lambs. Best director, best picture, best actor, best actress, best screenplay for that. So uh, it's just not that great a movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, it's a uh, rarefied company. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's what I was trying to. That's so dumb. <sighs> I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. People loved Silence of the Lambs. I guess people loved Once Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest or One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and people loved It's a Wonderful Life. So or it happened one night. Or, or as, sorry, sorry. Yeah, why didn't It's a Wonderful Life win? <laughs> Stupid history. Okay, so there. What? Yeah, that's the. Oh no, the context bus is driving away, and now we're left in the cornfields of discussion or the wheat fields of discussion what kind of fields do they end up in i don't know fields fields yeah we're less in the field we're strawberry left fields strawberry fields of discussion ben your general thoughts on this film i liked it i mean it's fun it let's see it's nice to see something that's not modern it's nice to see a dude and a woman i mean it, it was far enough on the <laughs> on the opposite side of where we are that it made me uncomfortable at points in a way that I think is proper, and like the movie was right. It was. It was. It was. Or you were right. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not even making a judgment. I'm just saying it's farther, <laughs> <laughs> so far that it's like this guy. I mean, like Jake said, he's mogging all the time. Yeah, I don't, a real man doesn't mog all the time. Right. But having it, having an actor do that, and having it be like, yeah, this is cool, <laughs> <laughs> makes you uncomfortable because you, it does bring out your own insecurities as a man to watch Clark Gable be the man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it, I, it's also just more sexually raw than most of what we have seen on this podcast. Even I think it made me more uncomfortable than Philadelphia Story because you've got these overt bedroom situations where there's just a blanket between... The two leads, and they call it the Wall of Jericho, and a wall that famously stayed up or fell down. <laughs> I think it fell down <laughs> yeah. at some point. And then Clark Gable starts singing, "Who's afraid of the big bad wolf?" <laughs> to her, while she's that. on the other side of the blanket, "You're afraid of the big bad wolf," and it's like this is amazing to me. Let's just talk about sex and how yeah, it's just really raw. And I think I would not recommend it to. An unmarried young man. Yeah, no, me neither. Me neither. But it was fun to watch as a married couple. I, I had a lot of fun with it. I really enjoyed it. My wife and I both laughed a lot and we did the thing where we looked at each other and we were like, haha. <laughs> Jokes yeah. kind of on both of us. Right. Yeah. Jake, your your general thoughts? I, I didn't like it as much as you guys. Amanda really liked it. I actually think it has, I can't quite put my finger on the why, I, but if I if I could... Just, is it because you're a beta, Jake? Yeah, it may be because I'm a beta. I actually think there's a lot less sexual tension in it than in Philadelphia Story. I don't think it has the potency. Interesting. Um, Ooh, I think I'm going to agree with Jake, actually. Go ahead. It's just sort of like, and I'm not quite sure how to put my finger on it just yet, but it's sort of like, in terms of, if you, if, if you can frame it in terms of modesty and the way that modesty and restraint work to create sexual tension this has zero uh, masculine modesty mm -hmm. and 
is therefore unbridled in a similar way to a babe on screen who's half naked mm -hmm. is. And so it's just sort of like flaunting sex in a way that is robbed of a lot of the tension that I, I think you actually do get in something more sophisticated like a Philadelphia story. But it's still on the flip side of how we how we think about sex. We don't do tension. We just do fulfillment these days. That's right. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, it's still a taming of the shrew story, but there's no like, there's no question that Gable wins. There's no... She's a, much more, she's a much more tameable shrew than... That's what right, I was going to say. Right. She doesn't ever. have as much to hit up against and he is just like alpha, alpha, alpha. And so, it's just sort of like, I mean... And I, she kind of likes it from pretty from early the, from, from, pretty from the get-go. And, and, and so, yeah. and then everybody's just going to line up in the end, right? right? Dad's going to flip and everything's yep. going to flip. And I don't know, I can't come out with, uh, I'm working this out in real time. So, the only analogy I have is a crass one and I apologize for it. But it's just like Clark Gable walks on screen, pulls down his pants, and then swings himself around mm. for the entire movie. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm just not, <laughs> not really here for that. But, but I still enjoyed it. I still had a lot of fun with it. But it was still too much in that sense, just in terms of really bringing what I think is a, a strong degree of sexual tension. Mm. So, yeah, that's interesting. What do you think, Ben? I feel some of that. I mean, I certainly feel that she's less. Catherine Hepburn's going to push back the whole time going to give as good as she gets. But I get so tired of, I mean, maybe this is my beta coming out, but I get so tired of Catherine Hepburn pushing back. Like, I kind of She's like, annoying. I kind of yeah. like that Claudette Colbert is a little bit more into it and they're both having a little bit more fun. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think yeah, it is hard to put your finger on. I didn't like that, she, that it ends with her throwing herself at him. That just wasn't I don't know. Oh, you have to take me with you. Oh, in the in the motel before that's the, right. Before when, all when, the when she, she she starts crying and breaking down because she thinks she'll be without him, and I just thought that too. Maybe that's a maybe we could frame that in terms of modesty, like you were with Gable. It's like have a little more dignity or something like you. Yeah, I'm not I sure that know. modesty is the exact right frame I want, but it, mm. it's at least a helpful. It's getting yeah, there. It's getting there. It's getting there. That yeah, it's just me trying to put my finger on. The ways I think this sort of quite doesn't work. Like, this is more to me, I was comparing it a lot to, in my mind, more to like something like McClintock, mm -hmm. not even The Quiet Man. <laughs> right. But something more like McClintock that is more of an acting out of a fantasy. Mm -hmm. I was comparing it to Fifty Shades of Grey. Right. Right. Something more of an acting out of an extreme fetish fetishization of masculinity. Mm-hmm than uh, a real virile masculinity, mm -hmm. which uh, all unfair comparisons. Right. But but only only as a handle for sort of trying to figure out where I think this film fits in terms of how it deals with and plays with a sexuality relative to Philadelphia story or a modern romantic comedy or something like that. It's interesting because for mm -hmm. me, it feels like the fact that it, goes all the way into a, a little bit of fantasy helps me relax a little bit hmm. like Philadelphia story makes me really uncomfortable yeah because Cary Grant's just there to destroy her like he's just and he's pushing her with her bot his body 
and it begins with him shoving her and McClintock doesn't make me just to take the spectrum here. McClintock doesn't make me any uncomfortable at all because it's ridiculous. It's a right. cartoon. Right. They don't actually believe that you should beat your wife. I don't think John Wayne thinks that. I think he thinks it's funny. And right. he, he mm-hmm. likes to he wants to and rub he got his, a lot of validation out of that scene in The Quiet Man. And so let's do that, but ramp it up to Yeah, 11. let's ramp it up to the silliest, stupidest. We know it's stupid. The stupidest version. Mm-hmm. And Catherine uh not Catherine O'Hara, Marine O'Hara's in on the joke. Right. She likes it. It's just a silly romantic fantasy thing like it's 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 star wars for for romance and then philadelphia story just is like it basically exists in our world right and it's got the additional complication of her daddy issues and the dad who's like uh, i need to commit adultery because you didn't love me and mm-hmm. it's got all that stuff whereas this one has a stupid fantasy figure dad who's mean when the movie needs him to be and then nice mm-hmm. when this and in, in gable it's got a more two-dimensional picture of of sexuality. So it it is more cartoonish, but that just lets me relax and maybe not take some of it mm. so seriously. Well, I agree with that. I I just don't know that I like that as much because mm-hmm. I just sort of I mean, I still felt a lot of tension, sexual tension about the walls of Jericho Co and Oh yeah. I just didn't feel a lot of sexual tension in those places at least relative to something like Philadelphia story. And I think that, I think that's why was just the cartoonish level of, of things and the heightened this and that, which it was a fun and enjoyable movie and I wouldn't mind seeing it again. Right. Right. So I'm not like uh, saying it's a failure of the movie. I'm just trying to put your finger on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to par- uh, parse the differences here in terms of. I mean, for to me, this enters, if it is Taming in, of the Shrew, mm-hmm. it, I mean, every Taming of the Shrew story the shrew ultimately has to want to be tamed. And I'm, I don't mm-hmm. mean that in a Fifty Shades of Grey type way. I just mean Do like... Do you find yourself cheering for Clark Gable? Here's the, That's interesting. Here's what drew out that thought. Yeah. Because if we have a spectrum here... Right. With the movies we've mentioned, on the, the far end on one side, we've got McClintock. On the far end on the other side, we have... Uh, Philadelphia Story. Philadelphia Story, Right. And in McClintock, you're supposed to be cheering for John Wayne. And you're having fun with the fact that you're cheering for John and, Wayne. Yeah, and you're having fun Get with Get her, that, John right? Wayne! Right? And in Philadelphia Story, are you cheering for anybody or aren't you or what? But you, you're kind of cheering for everybody to get their comeuppance. Mm-hmm. In The Quiet Man, you're definitely cheering for John Wayne. Right. Right? Like, and it's more potent because it's more realistic and it's not as cartoonish as, like, you're supposed to just, like, in McClintock, it's like, yeah, this is what's supposed to happen. And we know it's supposed to happen because we've lived through the tension of the quiet man and watched it work. In it happened one night. I'm not sure that I feel any of that. I want Clark Gable to, I, this woman needs to be dealt with and put in her place. And I want him to win. And I'm on his side here. And I hope that he, it, you do get some of that. I, man, I hope he gets the girl, but not until he's frustrated Mm -hmm. like he's driving back he's so happy he's turned the corner he's made the deal he's got a thousand dollars in his hand and it's oh no Mm. i i mean i i think to me or or maybe that's not true for you guys but that's how you felt yeah i I think that's i think that's how i felt it's hard i mean because i'm resonating with a lot of what you're saying jake i think for me what i liked was the journey like i didn't i don't think i felt tension in the sense of yeah not not a philadelphia story level man 
every character is like, (laughs) anything could happen. They could flip one Mm. way or the other. You don't really know. Right. This is like, no, it's accomplished already. Look at Clark Gable. Yeah, it was accomplished before it ever started. Right. But, 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 but the journey, like the road trippery of it all. It's is fun. just really fun and episodic. And it is. It and is that, really yeah. fun. And I think and it the, just pulled me along. And that that was a good word to use because the episodic nature of it is what I think carries mm-hmm. you along and makes it enjoyable because you're just going to have mm-hmm. a, this, a set piece of the seat and where is she going to sit and how is that going to work? You're going to have the set piece of shape. You're going to have the set piece of, of now we're just going to sing the flying trapeze. You're going to have a reprise of shapely you're gonna have the 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 plumber and the plumber's wife mm-hmm. set piece you're gonna have all these little episodes mm-hmm. that are in and of themselves fun and funny and mm-hmm. well done and enjoyable but i guess i guess just in terms of like the 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 sexual politics mm-hmm. of the movie everything is a fait accompli in a way that robs the movie of some level of tension mm-hmm. yeah and sexually. i think in, I, what mm-hmm. i'm realizing as you talk is I really like that, actually. Yeah. To me, mm-hmm. it's it's romantic. Actually, it reminds me, of all the movies we've mentioned in its silly cartoonish way. This one might be the one that resonates with me most personally in terms of what it was like to win my wife, because there is that sense of yeah, we're going to get together, but and we like we really like each other, and but we're going to have to go through this drama. To hijinks, get there. right? And 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 <laughs> we have if, to play the game. And if we're being mm-hmm. honest, that game is. Taming of the Shrew a lot of the time. You know, it's what challenges can the woman throw in your way and how are you going to come up with them and are you going to be manly enough or there's the off chance that you just mess it all up or that fate mm-hmm. messes it all up. And this movie, in a sweet rom-com kind of a way, captures that. You know, I, I didn't have to negotiate with the Irish and go and throw money at my wife's brother's feet and I didn't have to chase her through a town and spank her and I didn't have to do the Cary Grant thing. Like all of that stuff exists on a spectrum that's outside of what it was actually like. But this movie really captures, for me at least, that feeling of, okay, we both know what we want. Now we have to go on the journey. And I dare say it captures some of the sexual tension of we both know what we want. We both know that there's nakedness Uh under the clothes. We we both know know what's on the other side of the wall of Jericho, but we also can't. And we both know that wall's really flimsy. But, but, but we, we're not permitted to tear it we down. We cannot blow the trumpet yet. And so, I don't know, maybe I'm being too personal or something like that. But yeah, this this movie, you know, and I'm not saying I was Clark Gable. I'm not saying she was Claudette Colbert. Obviously, it's a cartoon. It is a cartoon. Mm-hmm. But I did find it very romantic, actually. And I think they play it just right. I think mm-hmm. she shows her cards exactly when she needs to, becomes more submissive and likes him early in a, in, a, in a way that's good. You Except know. for the whole being married part. Yeah, yeah. the, the movie, yep. I think, misplayed its cards there. And that's mm-hmm. one thing that the production code would have cleaned up for us in another year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is an unfortunate aspect of this movie. But what are you going to do? You just have to accept that premise or not. And personally, I'm not going to not watch the movie because of a, a background premise. But yes, we can acknowledge that it's it's stupid. But yeah, I just have fun with it. And I have fun with the fantasy of being Clark Gable and just knowing how to deal with everything. And... The the movie self-deprecates right when it needs to. I love the scene when he gets rid of Shapely and then he spits on himself. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that was awesome. Which was, feels like an outtake or something. I don't know. It feels yeah. like that can't have been in the script. I, I feel like actually it was because it was a very deliberate, we need a, how can we rein this guy in just a tiny bit? 
Just a tiny, tiny bit. And I, I feel like and this is where it feels like maybe me and Jake diverge a little bit, but I feel like the movie actually has enough of those kinds of things to, w- when, once you adjust your brain for the fact that for the time of the movie and for the type of character and for the type of performance, the movie actually has enough of, okay, they're both being silly, actually. It's not Gable's awesome and she's stupid. It's, they're both kind of silly and they need to figure this out. And, and Gable's awesome. I mean, and, you know, let's, <laughs> let's be honest. Gable's awesome and she needs to be tamed. But that's, that's all there. But there's just enough of – she gets her own back with she, – she knows how to get a car to stop when they're hitchhiking. And, and he, he's introduced drunk as, as kind of a failure. Like, it's funny because he's making all his friends think that he's telling the boss off. But he's not really telling the boss off. I think, I think right. that's crucial. Like, this, this guy isn't just – He's more of a grifter than anything. He's a grifter and he needs her as much as as much for money reasons as as anything else. So I think especially I mean I have a little bit more context with having seen other Clark Gable movies like I mean this movie is actually trying its best to to tone him down. To tone him down. <laughs> I mean I think Clark Gable probably did spank more women on screen than John Wayne did. He's just that guy and and people liked it and they amped it up in movie after movie after movie but this movie keeps saying, so I don't know, am I wrong or are we just two different people that can have two different opinions about this or? I don't think you're wrong. I just. It just didn't do it for you. Yeah. I just don't think it's as, I mean, all I'm really saying is there's a, a, an elevated timelessness in my mind about Philadelphia story that this doesn't quite hit. And I kind of know what you mean. I'd rather watch this again. Yeah, and I understand that and maybe would agree with you on that. Hmm. But it's not a it's not it's a cut below in terms of just it's film quality and storytelling and sophistication mm-hmm. and, and sexual tension and sexual politics. Yes. Yes, I I would agree with that. It's cut below and therefore a lot more enjoyable. Might be where my take is kind of landing. I guess it's more it's less sophisticated, but it's less sophisticated in a way that appeals to me. The only other tension I can think of in the movie is I I feel like this is deliberate. Is Clark Gable going to recognize that he actually likes her or is in love? Yeah, because I, I don't think that he's I think that he's not willing to admit that to himself until she falls all over him. Yeah, I and I I couldn't tell if that was not true in the script. Oh, I don't know that that is true. You don't know that it is. Yeah. I mean, uh, at at first, clearly, he has some romantic interest. You get some shots of him just looking at her and smiling. and Yeah, he thinks she's hot. Yeah. And she's going to be fun. Right. To, put, to toy with and to play with. Mm-hmm. And he does, he is, I think the movie gives him enough dignity. Like, he does want to protect this helpless person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He is a nice he guy. He is a kind person underneath mm-hmm. it all. Like, she's really, she's going to spend her last $4 on chocolate or whatever like Mm -hmm. she's she's out of her element here and somebody needs to take care of her and i i think there is that aspect and it is a real aspect and it does lend a little sweetness to his alpha Mm -hmm. thing his his toxic masculinity yeah but on the other hand it's like he 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 starts playing his 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 toxic masculine persona and then can't snap out of it until she's like i love you and then he's like wait a minute okay i need to go marry you i have to go do the thing quick i better get away it's like he doesn't even make that plan, actually. Well, she's married. Right. Uh, yeah. To wait. He's, wait. he's got to. He, yeah. He's got to deny. Yeah, it's true. Everything until she's 
ready to leave her husband right for him yeah 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 yep it would there would be no virtue and it's part of how it preserves his virtue as our leading man yeah yeah as the hero of the story true man it wants to dance all tap dance yeah, all over that line yeah, it's just yeah you know what it is for me you know what's what does actually have a lot of like oh man i think they're crossing more of a boundary than they even mean to it's when he buttons up her blouse yes yeah and then the movie goes back to it twice i think during the whole fake argument scene and stuff yep. like that yeah it, i read one critic who said that's the most erotic putting on of clothes that a movie has ever had <laughs> <laughs> and i think they might be right yeah <laughs> not that i can think of a lot of competition but yeah yeah it's something i mean i think i'm with your take so far if, if a little bit of your feeling jake is ah this is just five percent tawdry like it's it's playing to the peanut gallery i know what you mean and i think you're right the the peanut gallery of then was the sophisticates of now though like i appreciate the walls of jericho i mean it is salacious actually in, in, a, mm-hmm. in a kind of sleazy way but yep man i long for movies to for that to be our our definition of salacious instead of mm-hmm. let's just do pornography now yeah i guess the f- yeah that's fine it feels just like a inverted pornography to me like in a, a certain sort of way this is we can only show you an ankle because that's the time we live in but boy, no we're we gonna show you that ankle no i think that it's it's clark gable who's undressed yeah throughout the movie that's what i mean yeah that's and, interesting. and that to me robs it of potency it is the kind of movie that you could see one's wife liking better than one, more so than a John Wayne movie or a Humphrey Bogart movie or a, like Clark Gable does just feel like the cover of a Parlican romance or something like that. Like he yeah. is, he's eye candy. Yeah. And he's just unbridled alpha mm-hmm. 100% of the time. Right. So he's as much a fantasy character in that moment as a, you know, the half- naked helpless damsel in some boy's adventure flick yeah james bond or something yeah yeah i don't disagree with any of that i just think it's a classy movie that i like anyway well should we go through this one so we have the introduction she throws food she's we're not going out of our our way to make her likable at all or are we i guess her dad slaps her and we kind of feel bad for her there maybe well plus she's like in her 20s and dad like tries to keep her imprisoned on his boat right (laughs) and she's married and he's trying to keep her away from her husband right and she can't get away she has nothing no independence whatsoever right no ability to have a say in her own future like dad's a pretty big jerk yeah Mm -hmm. until he isn't um well until we learn that dad was right right yeah i suppose he was well she needed a daddy figure who could slap her around and keep her on his boat just as much as daddy had been doing mm-hmm. yeah but if he didn't slap her around and keep her on his boat then maybe she would have not married the pilot and tried to escape and rebel and she would have known not to spend four dollars on a thing of chocolate and yeah but that's why we just replaced that guy with clark gable who can do that for for the rest of her life that's true but <laughs> she didn't she didn't need clark gable if it wasn't for her dumb dad maybe, i was just maybe women are all just that stupid maybe women are all just that stupid i think that might be the 
the moral of this story. Yeah, I'm trying to compare her to like Maureen O'Hara and Catherine Hepburn, like to all of our other shrews and, and their relative levels of likability when we meet them and see where she lands on that. I think for me, she might actually be near the top of the most unlikable. Just, I mean, yeah, in theory, I sympathize with her situation, but also she's yelling at everybody and the servants are like scared and kind of backing away and <laughs> everything like that. And then we meet Clark Gable and he's drunk and he's telling off his boss and mm -hmm. I don't know. Are you guys Fred savaging at this point? Like when's it going to get good? Are you still waiting for the movie to start? No, I thought I was drawn in. It's good filmmaking. Yeah. I mean, Capra's good at this. He's good at establishing characters. He's good at getting you a little interested. It's very clean visually. And I was like, ah, what's going to happen once you get to Clark Gable? It's clear. All right. Here's here's the whole movie. It's this grifter guy. His friends are making fun of him. They're calling him the king. Right. Well, he is the king, basically. That's what you need to know. Right. This is it's it's good storytelling. And I wasn't her bored. husband's name is King. King Wesley. <clears throat> oh yeah. Princess, that too. Princess Bride reference. King Wesley. King Wesley. We get on the bus, we meet the cop. He says, oh, a fresh guy, huh? What you need is a punch on the nose. <laughs> he has a lot of awesome dialogue. Wasn't, wasn't he the just the first bus driver? Oh, he maybe, was, actually. Maybe he was. Uh, that makes more sense. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. He, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> did, you guys, did, did you laugh at this movie, Jake? Yeah, that was pretty fun. I like that scene, for instance. Yeah. You got... Uh, we're going to meet Shapely pretty quick. Uh, but first, he's got to like chase down her bag and they've got to not like each other. I will say those kinds of things often feel very inorganic. Like, oh, they need to not like each other. And I never questioned I never questioned their relative positions to each other in this movie. Like, I don't, I, it never felt like, well, the movie needs her to not like him right now or it needs him to do this. It just, it felt pretty organic, which is maybe the number one most common complaint that I have about these types of movies is that. I hate it when it feels like... It's arbitrary that they don't like each other. Yeah, they, they would just like each other. They're both attractive, nice people. Why don't they like each other? Mm -hmm. um, but they're not both attractive, nice people. Right, exactly. They're both attractive, <laughs> not nice people. Right, exactly. Which, which goes a long way, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks, you could stand to be a little meaner in your movies uh -huh. if you want to go back in time. He's going to throw the newspapers out on the street and have a big fight with the bus driver while she slips in behind and takes the seat. He's got a reason to be annoyed with her. She has no context for why he's annoyed with her. And so she's annoyed with him for being annoyed with her. And that all makes sense. You know what the actual most modern context that we could compare this to is in terms of a movie about movies about characters that are like, there's no reason you would actually like this person in real life is like Bill Murray movies. The, the, that mm -hmm. whole, the 80s spate of like SNL comedies, any SNL comedy, Adam Sandler movies, actually, those movies are all. Similar in this one, in exactly one respect and no others, which is they're just like about jerks and the movie just expects you to like them because the movie says so and because it's... And therefore you do. And therefore you do. Mm -hmm. But I never found myself, I often observe that and I'm like, I wouldn't actually like Bill Murray, but I didn't think like I wouldn't like Clark Gable. Maybe when he threw the newspapers out, that seemed a little moggish. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <But>, uh <laughs> She falls asleep on him. Maybe this movie just has a lot of triggers for me, or uh, whatever the good version of triggers is for uh -huh. me. 
I remember a girl falling asleep on me and uh, a, a missions trip, that being a thing that happened in high school. So, therefore, things? So, yeah, yeah. Therefore, it, it resonates somehow. I don't know. Being on a long trip in a sweaty, bad-smelling environment where everyone's at their worst and somebody's head falls asleep on. Yeah, it's a thing that happens to people. I don't know. Then he gives this speech after she, like, spends the day not under his protection. He says... The only way you get anything is to buy it, isn't it? You're in a jam and all you can think about is your money. It never fails, does it? Ever hear of the word humility? <laughs> Again, I don't know why. Maybe I just... It's, it's very likely some of this is just my bias towards old things are better and new things are stupid. But I hate speeches like that and I didn't mind. You know what speech I hate? In Planes, Trains, and Automobile, when uh, J- John Candy gives a speech like that, it's so stupid. Such a... The, the dumbest part of that movie. People like me. You remember that? You guys I've never seen it. Seen it. Yeah. I, I, it's been a long time since I've seen it. so self-aggrandizing and stupid, but hey, Clark Gable's the king of Hollywood and the most manly man in the world. Now, Ben, on a scale of Gandhi to Martin Luther King Jr., <laughs> where would you rate the character of Oscar Shapley? <laughs> this feels like a baited question, Nathan. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. He's a world-class peacemaker. Yeah, he is. Of some kind. I wrote down some dialogue. You know, there's nothing I like better than to meet a high-class mama that can snap them back at you. Because the colder they are, the hotter they get. That's what I always say. Yes, sir. When a cold mama gets hot, boy, how she sizzles. (laughs) (laughs) He is such a gross idiot. You just can't help but laugh at him. He is just over the top in a way that modern movies can't do. Because there's no shame. There's no propriety for him to transgress. Yes. And there's no propriety to catch him and keep him from go- being a completely gross supporting character in an Adam Sandler comedy yeah, or something that's right. like that. Oh, man. Now, you're just my type. Believe me, sister, <laughs> I could go for you in a big way. Fun on the side, shapely, they call me, with accent on the fun. Believe you me. <laughs> just. <laughs> <laughs> and then the movie goes out of the way to tell you he's got a wife and kids I on the know. side. And, yeah, he's scared uh. for her kids. Oh man, <laughs> that actually felt a little moggish when when Gla- when Gable finally takes him down. I've I felt uneasy with how much the movie was stacking the deck to make him Gable look like an awesome guy and this guy look like a total piece of slime. Yep, it's that thing we talk about with like Dolores Umbridge or it's the Umbridge effect, I guess we'll call it, where it's like we're just creating a character that you'll hate so that you can hate him. Yeah. Well, uh- yeah, I guess so, but I felt like... Well, that's all of the characters that he deals with. It's the bus driver. The bus driver is just an idiot who won't do the obvious thing, which is make space on the bus for somebody who bought a ticket right? to right, to be on the bus. And then he's just a dope who can't come up with anything except for, oh, yeah. And he just gets to make fun of him and mock him and beat him down and make him feel stupid. And it's the detectives and it's the hotel owners. It's the detectives, owners. it's mm-hmm. the hotel owners, it's... A shapely when he decides to come over and be like, yeah, I'd like to sit by my wife now. Yeah, and, then, and then it's shapely when he's like, yeah, I'm going to kill her. Right. Like, <laughs> shapely folds faster than Superman on laundry day. <laughs> it's just like, you know, here's another scarecrow to prop up for... Uh, our hero to shoot our, down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's but, gonna, but he's going to dance five circles around him first. And it's going to be a very fun dance that he does around the scarecrow <laughs> before he knocks him down. I didn't mind too much. I don't know. I just, I know it's mean. But I'm the not, movie, tr- man, I'm, it's going to sound like I mind. I just am. You're just pointing you're, it out. You're just trying, you're just trying, trying to point yeah. it out and not make this out to be the greatest romantic comedy of all time. Sure. You know, J- J- it's John Wayne. feel like the, the bad guy here, but I, I had a lot of fun with it. You I ever watch it. a John Wayne movie? It's just a, se- a sequence of 
I'm an idiot. Will you punch me, please, John Wayne? <laughs> okay, Pilgrim. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> repeat, repeat, rinse, A- wash, repeat. <laughs> Absolutely. But but John John Wayne movies. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to. <laughs> and then the women. I'm an idiot. Will you spank me, please, John? All right. I agree. I just think this movie is more in that class of John Wayne movies than. Yeah, I, I suppose I, I'm with Ben. I just like it here. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> I mean, would we have movies if we didn't have... Uh, I'm a stupid character that exists to be put down by you, hero? No, it's fun. It's fun. Jake, why do you hate fun? <laughs> <laughs> do you like life? Yes or no? <laughs> Obviously not. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm learning today. All right, so Gable saves her from Shapely. She tries to buy some candy. He says, you're on a budget now, toots. <laughs> <laughs> the testosterone. And she just submits to it. And she just submits to it. Well, she likes it. She likes it. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> some women just like that kind of thing. Uh, Did you ever hear of a phenomenon called Fifty Shades of Grey? <laughs> <laughs> but that's unfair because it is unfair. That, that's this movie's a, not appealing. You can't just say be, that is the straw man that people bring up. I mean, I think it's worth dealing with a little bit because maybe we'll just get in the weeds if we try to deal with it. No, but it's like should. a movie like this appealing to that in a woman is not trying to turn every woman into a bondage I agree. loving submissive I agree. yeah and the uh, yeah absolutely there is an instinct in a a good instinct in a woman that wants to submit that wants to be protected and, and will test a man until she finds somebody she can respect who will not only be able to deal with her but deal with everybody else around her right make her feel safe and protected and a movie like this is playing into the fantasy of that in a, yep. in, a, in, a in a silly erotically charged way you, you could argue that it's amping it up to garbage levels i don't agree with that but you can argue that and jake doesn't agree with that either but you could argue that mm-hmm. uh, but but what you don't have to then do is say every woman every woman that ever liked a clark gable movie is some kind of Fifty Shades of Grey in the B- making. BDSM. Right. I already said that my wife liked it. I'm right. not saying that. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's possible for people to have a sense of humor. One thing that these old movies remind us is that it is possible for people to have a sense of humor about their sexuality, which is something that I just feel like you, you've got the left scolding us all about our sexuality. And then the right's like, well, I guess we have to scold them back. And watching a movie like this or Philadelphia Story or McClintock for Pete's sake you're like, oh, yeah, it used to be that the battle of the sexes and masculinity and femininity and kind of the competing energy of those things was kind of sweet and funny. And people mm-hmm. and, and people, they were they were sophisticated. Everybody got it. Everybody got it. And they had fun with it. Clark Gable. We're not we, we don't laugh when he says, here, hold this. And then, and then slaps her posterior. We're not laughing at that because that's what everybody would do. We're not laughing in recognition. We're laughing because it's kind of shocking because it's going a little farther than we expect it to go. And they knew that. The, the movie doesn't have all the stuff about beating her and because everybody back then just liked to beat their wives. It's intentionally being a little silly and transgressive. Because, but it's just playing with the dynamic that everyone understood and believed in. Right. On some level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, I mean, I mean, there's no one in our audience that's going to watch this movie and be like, ah, everybody just like to beat their wife. But 
if there is, then don't <laughs> be don't be don't assume that everyone that came before you is stupider than you, person. I just finished reading The Stranger by Albert Camus. Everybody, I haven't read it. What's what's the tie? Oh, there's just this whole thing where he's got this dude has a girlfriend and she runs out on him or whatever, or maybe he's a pimp or it's kind of hard to say, but our main character writes a letter to help convince her to come back so that he can beat the crap out of her. And then the police show up and he's able to get off the hook because he had a friend say that she was cheating on him. Therefore she deserved the beating. And so then the police let him off the hook. So if she's cheating, she deserves the beating. All right. That's not a phrase. That's, that's, that's not like a thing that we say. <laughs> ben does have that tattoo. It's true. But, uh, it's from a long time ago, man. This is from back when you thought if she's cheating, she deserves the beating. Is it really into Camus back in those days? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was really into Camus. Come on, man. It's just Camus. If she's cheating, she's then if you cheat, then you be beat. Uh, it's right there. Famous words of Camus. All right. Uh, so we've gotten... What? <laughs> We've gotten to the walls of Jericho. Mm. The famous walls of Jericho. That's not a huge setup for a payoff. <laughs> <laughs> there are other walls, walls that are more sturdy that they could have named those walls after. <laughs> but Clark Gable sure does call them the walls of Jericho. Uh, mm. And I thought it was pretty charged. Yeah. It was pretty charged. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, we've already kind of said it, and we've said it many places, but it's just worth saying, expectation, desire, much more interesting than fulfillment. Modern movies are just about, this is what happens biologically when people have sex. Not actually all that interesting, not all that erotic, but this is what it feels like to want someone. That's pretty interesting, if you can key into that. I mean, imagine if James Cameron actually knew how to key into that for something like Titanic instead of, we're just two beautiful people and we're going to do some sex stuff and dance. Maybe that's unfair. Maybe Titanic's a little bit better than I give it credit for, at least in its construction. I haven't seen it for basically since it came out, which was now over 25 years ago, I think. Well, yeah, it has to be. It captured too many people's imagination and was part of their sexual awakening. I'm, I'm sure. I'm, as, as I, I haven't seen it in forever, but I haven't that seen was it in incredibly, never. I was in middle school. And it was incredibly true of all of the middle school girls I knew. My sixth grade teacher saw it 12 times in the theaters and made us listen to the soundtrack every day. That was like all the girls. Yeah. Everybody, yeah. Resonated with them on more than just a biological, functional level, in my opinion. Yes, indeed. It was an emotional... What's what's the word mogging? The thing that feels the most moggish is not that he's setting up this boundary and then intentionally kind of crossing it. It's that he acts all nonchalant. Well, he does. Like that's, <laughs> right. that's the true mog thing. To- well, yeah, he just doesn't care. Kindly take your undergarments uh, back off the thing. And who's afraid of the big bad? Well, like I'm going to stand here and I'm going to undress in front of you if you don't leave. And <laughs> I don't. It doesn't mean anything to me. This does remind me of another great Capra scene. The uh, famous what's Bush the face? scene. The famous Bush scene. The famous Mary loses mm-hmm. her robe scene. And uh, Jimmy Stewart has a similar response. Jimmy Stewart's arguably a lot nastier in that scene because... He is nastier. The, she's in a much more compromised position at that point than mm-hmm. Claudette Colbert so, see, is. But even he's nastier in that scene, and I think that it feels more sexually charged. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's, it's more realistic, and it's more... In, I mean, he's really, like, toying with her in a way that... But it also makes me, therefore, makes me more uncomfortable, whereas, I mean, I love It's a Wonderful Life, but... 
I wouldn't want to see a whole romantic comedy that was done on that pitch. Maybe I have. It's called Philadelphia Story. And uh, like I said, I'd rather watch a little fantasy about Clark Gable and Claudette Colbert being cute together. I mean, also, It's a Wonderful Life is in the... It gives it a context of turmoil. It's not a context of, here's a cartoon about Clark Gable and a girl that he met. No. If there's one thing we know about Jimmy Stewart, it's that he thinks he deserves to be in this position and uh, (laughs) take full advantage of it. (laughs) And who knows how he would have taken advantage of it if his dad didn't die. He doesn't really, though. He's just just riding the crest of... I'm going darker than the movie does, but uh, I think old George Bailey's pretty dark in his way. (laughs) Um, In some ways. Yeah. Okay. So... We've talked about the fam- – oh, you know what I do love about that scene is the photography and the rain and the light shimmering in the windows. It just really gives you that feeling of – I found this whole movie, especially the bus stuff, but also the, play- the various places where they stay, more than any old movie I can name, it's, it's evocative. Like, you feel the locations. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't feel like sets for the most part. You're just on the road with them. You kind of know that they're sets. It's different. It looks different than a modern movie. It looks less naturalistic than a modern movie, but I thought – I really felt the rain and the – the cold and the light coming in and just the the world of that auto camp or whatever it was, Armenian auto camp, I guess it was. Hmm. I didn't really know what that was. But yeah. And then the next day when she walks through the mud to go to the shower, it's just like it reminded me of camps that I went mm-hmm. to. And I found this movie really charged in a completely something that has nothing to do with love, but just the road trip of it all was evoked about as well as anything I could name. Well, that since you have, you mentioned your middle school, high school experience. That since you have, we're on a long, wearisome trip together. I start developing feelings for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that thing that happens. It's the thing right. that happens. Right. This movie does catch it. I'd be surprised if it, I'd be surprised if there were many people who that it didn't happen to at some point. Yeah. Uh-huh. And there's, a, there's a reason they did it in a Spider-Man movie even yeah. still. Right? Like, isn't that that whole thing of Ned gets stuck sitting mm-hmm. next to a girl and then they fall in love and they're in love on the whole trip. And yeah. then at the end of the trip on the ride home, they break up. They break mm. up. And <laughs> that's just like, this is classic. It's universal. Yeah, it's universal pretty experience. universal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I dare say having a, a girl fall asleep on your shoulder is uh, fairly uh, universal. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I fell in love with my wife on a bus trip. Yeah. So. Well, and this movie is well calculated to remind a lot of people of their We got stuck sitting next to each other, and that's was a big part of it. Yeah. And you're out of your element, and you're seeing her out of her element, and you're both, like, sweaty and tired, and your hair is not done the way it would normally. Like, there's something pretty powerful about all that stuff. Okay, and then we get the wonderful scene where they deceive the two guys by playing the most cynical version of a low-class <laughs> <laughs> married couple that they possibly could. Oh, man. That felt very Jimmy Stewart and... The girl from Phil- his his bow from Philadelphia story or one of those things. Um, what am I saying? No, it didn't. It didn't feel mm-hmm. like those two. It felt like something that Jimmy Stewart might pull and when he's in his more alpha mode. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, it didn't. Let me revise that thought again. I'm getting towards the thought. It felt like something Cary Grant in a not in Philadelphia story, but in a completely different context. Young Cary Grant would do that kind of thing in a lot of movies. The Hitchcock also stole a lot from this movie, by the way. If you've ever seen the 39th parallel or the 39 39 steps steps, yeah or any number of movies hitchcock i mean even the one we did what's it called 
North by Northwest. Yeah, I wanted to call it Rushmore, but that's a different movie. <laughs> <laughs> quite a different movie. Yeah, yeah. another masterpiece of suspense. Potential sexual tension in it. Yes, it does. Hitchcock really, I think, keyed off of this movie. He really liked the idea of uh, an icy, elegant woman and a uh, doodly dude kind of going cross country and the tension, the sexual tension ratcheting up between them. And a lot of Hitchcock is derivative of this. Uh, 39 Steps and Rushmore specifically, whatever Rushmore is actually called. All right. I think we're, I don't know, you guys, guys want to say anything else about the, we're <laughs> pretending to be a terrible married couple scene. It was just awesome. Uh, yeah. It's really cute. It's Super really... fun. If you don't like them, if you're not shipping them before, you're definitely shipping them after <laughs> like oh these, yeah. guys, these people are cute together well it takes you out of them being actual people a little bit too <laughs> these are two top-notch actors <laughs> yeah i think it's still it's just it's just fun it's part of the theatricality yeah. of the movie i think it's kind of you you almost want that at a certain point you don't want it to be biff sorgensen and meg locks and dome i'm good at improvising names <laughs> you want to just say oh it's tom hanks and meg ryan that's what we actually care about mm-hmm. right. we, we actually want them to step outside of this a little bit because we're here to watch tom hanks and meg ryan or, or, or whoever and in that sense yeah. it's like hey claudette colbert and clark Gable have a lot of chemistry and it's just fun to watch them <laughs> do a thing together yeah and they just totally flex their acting skills in the middle of this movie and that was really cool yeah yeah it's just it's just a really fun scene and then we get and the it was, ho- it was really cool yeah it's great. And then and then we get the hilarious, you, you always have to watch for this in movies. Anytime there's a photograph of somebody, it's usually a glamour shot as opposed to a photograph that the character would actually have. Like it's a clot. So her dad is like talking to detectives or something and he's like, you got to find my daughter. And he holds up this ridiculous photo of her in like a night dress. It's like obviously a <laughs> Claudette Colbert publicity sto- uh, photo. But watch for that in movies and you'll begin to see almost every photograph that ever gets held up unless it's like a family photograph will, will look like a publicity photo. It's just a funny little thing to watch for. But then we get my favorite section, which is all the camaraderie between the people on the bus and <laughs> they're all the greatest singers in the world. And they we're going to spend a lot of time with them singing this trapeze thing. And Capra himself is going to get up and do a verse and, I think you said off mic, Jake, you're expecting somebody to suck and that to be the joke. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was waiting to see if that would happen. But I think it, I might have. The The sailor gets up and I was like, okay, is this going to be a, the joke? And he doesn't. And then the next guy gets up. And then by the, by the time we had the third guy get up, I was ready for the joke. <laughs> and the joke never came. No, it's just... Uh, the joke was that the driver was going to start singing and dancing that's and right. drive into a ditch. Yep. That's right. <laughs> or drive off the road or whatever he does. Yep, yep, yep. Well, it did make me... I don't know. In that moment, it was like, this was a different world. And I don't know that that world exactly existed, but this world where everyone on the bus... They, we all know this song. We could all sing it together. We're just together on the road. What we needed was John Candy yeah, leading us in yeah. the wheels on the bus. That, that was obviously well. Uh, Flintstones is the one. Oh, that Flintstones! Yeah, yeah thanks. Because Steve Martin tries to say some lame old standard, and then nobody knows it, and then everybody knows the Flintstones. <laughs> <laughs> I like to believe that that world existed. I like to believe that TV still didn't exist when this movie was made, mm-hmm. and people just sat around on their porches and sang together, and still had some. I believe that movie existed. We did that sort of thing on field trips. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it it was just like. It could be any number of dumb things. It'd be a beach, a Beach Boys song or something like that. Whatever anybody could know. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, and it was like, we did it for fun as kids. And as we got older, we did it for ironic fun. But secretly for But secretly fun. for real mm-hmm. fun. And you just, I don't remember there being a time ever where that kind of thing didn't happen on a bus trip with people. It wasn't like a random Greyhound bus from city to city. It was right. total strangers though. I'll give it that. But mm-hmm. still, I think that because that kind of thing just tends to, whether you're going to take a college group to on a mission trip or you're going to be on a field trip with your sixth grade class at your public school or whatever it is, like that kind of thing just, that still happens. I think it still that's, happens. At least that still happened in the 90s and the early 2000s. So, well, and even I if, believe it. Even if Capra's a sentimentalist, A, he's not that much of a sentimentalist in this movie. B, he, this movie came out at, in 1934. We're in the middle mm-hmm. of the Depression. People aren't going to stand for it if this movie is too fairy tale. I don't think. Like, it has to capture a little. Mm-hmm. And this movie goes out of its way to capture a little bit of the, the ruggedness in its silly rom-com way. Mm-hmm. But I, I think probably one of the reasons people responded to this is because they felt seen and heard and... I'm sure it doesn't happen anymore. We all have phones. Yeah. Eh. It is the thing that iPhones have robbed from our society. Thanks yeah. a lot. Steve. And Steve. Steve. Thanks a lot, Steve Jobs. Yeah, thanks a lot, Steve. Mm. Thanks, Steve. Yeah. Hmm. Nobody's carrying you across a river. Piggyback or not piggyback. is the key. Boy, was she wrong about piggyback. But we'll get to that in a minute. First, we have to get rid of Mr. Shapely. Send him off. Mm-hmm. Pull the old "I've got a gun in my pocket" <laughs> routine. That's not your gun. That's a finger. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. It's a gun. Uh, any deep thoughts about getting rid of Shapely, yeah, Ben? Why don't you show me? Get out of here! I'm not going to show you my gun. <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. It was just. It was just fun. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And and then she she feels a little bad that he did that shapely i don't know seems like if anybody deserved it it was oscar shapely (laughs) (sighs) that jerk and then he carries her across the river and boy does she not know what a piggyback ride is (laughs) at all my father was a great piggybacker (laughs) (laughs) this is really fun i don't know yeah i really like this section of the movie it's a lot of fun now ben if you were carrying a spoiled heiress across a river and she gave you guff about what a piggyback ride is how would you put her in her place my friend I'd probably just keep laughing at her and telling her she didn't know what she was talking about. That's your option. You could pin her uh, like uh, by her neck and between two branches and just let her dangle. <laughs> you could throw her in the water. <laughs> These are good options. Feed her to you squirrels. Know, gonna... <laughs> I'll stick with my first answer. <laughs> Jake, same question. I would toy with dropping her. Toy with dropping her. I yeah. would, you know, let her slip a little and catch her or just sort of like do a little jostle. Yeah. I think maybe Gable had the right idea, but you have to know you're going to get married. Otherwise, it's too saucy. So, I don't know what I would do. Just throw her in the water and then feed her to squirrels, I guess. Got uh, that thing again. Come on, thing. There it goes. Just throw her in the water and feed her to squirrels, I guess. Okay, then we have the hay scene, and that's about as charged as anything in the movie. Uh, yep. Yeah. That was, yeah. Pretty uncomfortable. Pretty uncomfortable. Again, I really felt like I was outdoors in a visceral way that you don't get from movies of that era. Hardly yeah, at all. Yeah, same. And you're not. It's a stage. It's a it's a stage. But, yeah. I don't know what else to say about that. I guess we're getting the famous Bugs Bunny inspiration somewhere in this run of scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the hitchhiking, everybody remembers the hitchhiking. If there's any, if you ever, if you talk to, and I have, like, you ever seen this movie? People say, oh, the walls of Jericho. Or they'll say, oh, hitchhiking. Because people think that's funny. 
he mansplains to her and then he fails to hitchhike. <laughs> and then that joke is redone a million times over. Yeah, yeah, I've certainly seen that before. I couldn't tell you where. Mm. I do like the cinematic punctuation. The movie's so classical in its construction. It's usually just a lot of like long two shots of the two of them, but she sticks out her leg and then suddenly we get this rapid montage of the guy <laughs> hitting his brakes and the tires squealing yeah, and yeah. everything. He yeah. hits the foot brake and pulls the hand yeah, brake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is stopping. And then the tires squeal and it turns out he was only after their uh, junk anyway. Man, that guy is hilarious. Oh, when he starts singing them, I was just like, what is this movie? Married couples <laughs> like to eat or whatever. Sell them hungry. <laughs> newly married couple. <laughs> it's just like, I just thought it was hilarious. That was really funny. Like, yeah. Not expect this at all. It's, like, what is even going on? It feels like, yeah, I mean, it feels like a mo- almost modern and kind of absurd and <sighs> I like it. And then she eats the carrot. She mm. loves him. She's willing to submit. She doesn't want him to break her neck. Um, <laughs> and also, she's had no food for also about 48 hours. And also, she's had no food. <laughs> but, but, but boy, do they play it as like a, a step in the relationship. And then he says, I'll break your neck. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I, I'm sorry. You imagine after they're married, she's like, I'm going to ask for directions at this guest. I'll break your neck. <laughs> <laughs> that would be to show weakness to someone else. <laughs> But then he says he's sorry, he, or he starts to, and then they get interrupted by the guy driving off. Yeah, then they end up in the hotel, and he says, you know, nights when you and the moon and the water all became one, you'll feel you're part of something big and marvelous. That's the only way to live. Where the stars are so close over your head, you feel you could reach up and stir them around. And she's like, I love you. So, Jake, you said misstep, or did you say misstep? One of you guys said this is a bad part of the movie. I did, I I think. I got that sense. Yeah, I was just like, eh, no, it just deflated things too quick. It was... Specifically her breaching the wall of Jericho. Yeah, yeah. Her breaching the wall of Jericho, her just breaking down in tears and of, of swooning with romantic desire. Yeah, I will say, I think I agree. I think that comes close to being a little, a little too cheap, a little too easy, a little too weighted on the fantasy of being Clark Gable like let's let's make the the woman should make him work for it a little yeah. bit more well I think it is those things and it's of a piece with the it's just how the movie wants it to be if you're Clark Gable the women just fall in your your lap and right I think that's part of it yeah but the, I mean I, I also think that there is a counter argument which is what's he supposed to do with the married woman while maintaining any kind of respect of the audience or the woman yeah, i think as a plot point it is right. pre- pretty necessary that's a good point yep i agree i also think again insofar as it does work for me and for and, and sitting there watching it with my wife it's 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 a, just us us having a fun time replaying little elements of our relationship who's going to give when and what and and so it's not so much about will clark gable win her as He's already won her, and it's just about timing and negotiation, which is what uh, a lot of us have a sweet period of our life that we remember where that was the case. And this, a movie like this stirs it up in a fun way. <sighs> okay, then we, I, th- I don't know how much we need to talk about the end of the movie. It's just the, the plot. Suddenly there's a plot, <laughs> and it kicks in, and it's a plot that we're downstream of and have seen a million variations on now, many of them keying off of this movie. I don't know. What do you guys think of Act Three? The dad's fun. I mean, 
he doesn't have much of a character that follows from his setup. It, yeah, but he was just fun. I mean, if you if if you're willing to buy the idea, he always knew what was best for his daughter. He was just a little bit stupid in the way he carried it out, but now he recognizes an opportunity to <laughs> I don't know. He understands <laughs> within meeting Clark Gable once and Clark right. Gable yelling at him. Aha. <laughs> Clark Gable treating him with contempt and meanness. <laughs> yeah. He's like, wow. Oh, this reminds me of how I treat my daughter. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> I need her to be with a man just like me. It may, so maybe it works even better than the movie means it to work as a realistic portrayal of a character. <laughs> <laughs> I think it works worse than the movie means for it to work. <laughs> therefore, it's better. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like the idea that everyone has contempt for the the idiot pilot. <laughs> I don't know. He I does don't... nothing to establish him as an idiot. No, no. I just it like just it. It's, it. It's worse even than Philadelphia Story. <laughs> yeah, where the yeah, guy's yeah. like, I can't ride a horse. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's just like, I fly a cool gyrocopter. And everyone's like, what a, what an idiot. <laughs> what a dweeb. <laughs> <laughs> I just like it. I don't know. I, it, I, it, I it plays into, I think, uh, <laughs> everything about that. I still like, it plays into that fantasy of Clark Gable as the alpha of alphas. Mm-hmm. And so, like, here's a guy who flies this, like, bizarre, cool airplane. Under the gyro. Shows up. Uh, uh, a famous American hero, up. I guess. Like, everybody knows yeah, who he is. Yeah, everybody thinks he's a big deal. He's in, He's a big... He's in a celebrity... She meets him at a celebrity lineup place where all the rich people are, and she happens to run and jump into his car of all cars, and she knew who he was, and he knew who she was, and mm-hmm. he's handsome, and he's all the things, and he's... But he he's going to show up at his wedding by landing his auto gyro. But he could be bought with money. Yeah. Yeah, I guess he could. He could be bought with money. That was the big, that's the thing. Yeah. That well, just he's just not, him he's as, just a... as manly and awesome as he is. Nobody is as awesome and alpha as Clark Gable. Please. I, I, I do want to say, to be fair to the dad, Gable only wanted the $39 and that is a good sign of character. Sure. That you know yeah I that, agree. A dad, that, a, that a real dad could key off with. there's a king he's wesley a, he's over some here. kind of man of principle yeah mm-hmm. his principle is he has contempt for every institution <laughs> and every person 100 <laughs> percent of the time and unless he gets his woman and he's gonna sit and drink himself to death <laughs> yep <laughs> ah what a man <laughs> what a man <laughs> it's a movie uh. <laughs> eat, shut up and eat your popcorn <laughs> yeah shut up and eat your shut popcorn eat your, we only think critically about movies we don't like yes, right yes. <laughs> movies that we Guys. do like we turn the brain off as quickly as possible <laughs> when it's a, a woman running around in her underwear fighting nazis but when it's a man yeah yeah he's running around in his underwear fighting nazis basically shut up and eat your popcorn shut up and eat that's right i will say philadelphia story also totally waits the deck against that absolutely dweeb jerk like there's but the, but the thing is he's a dweeb jerk in a philadelphia story he's not a dweeb jerk we are shown that he's a dweeb dork jerk in Philadelphia. So, oh, so story. you're saying it's the opposite in a. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm saying both movies would be better. I mean, both movies don't have time or space to do this, and I don't know that I really fault them. But if you want to play fair with the story you're telling, both movies could stand to have actual adversaries instead of just straw men. Yeah. And in other words, Philadelphia story is in its way guilty of the same sin that this movie is. I will grant you that he's a more well-developed character and that that does help Philadelphia story as opposed to this movie just being like, eh. Well, my point was that this movie doesn't, the one place where it doesn't set up a straw man for Clark Gable to knock down because he doesn't ever have to interact with him is this character. Right. So he can just be like, in every way, some kind of awesome 
guy, except the movie tells you that it doesn't matter how awesome he is. Right. Claire Gable's more awesome. I think, let me, let me argue for it this way. We haven't talked a lot about what her arc actually is. And I think she does have a nice one, which is she's been told what to do her whole life. She hasn't had freedom to find herself. She hasn't been given any responsibility. She's just been, she's been coddled and spoiled, but also repressed. She gets out on her own. She is completely vulnerable, but she also just out of desperation makes a mistake. And that's what King Wesley is. He's the mistake that she made. Uh, The movie in a silly fantasy way stacks the decks such that they didn't get to consummate the mistake. And therefore it's annulled. And therefore it's annulled. Mm -hmm. We can talk about that. But if you want to grant the movie its premises, King Wesley is her mistake and her desperate attempt to find something and then Mm -hmm. she runs and then she sees a man who seems completely wrong and she she has the age the movie actually gives her the agency to say no i'm not going to act out of desperation or whatever i'm going to go with the guy that is good for me it's very simple and it's so simple i mean it's not nothing profound about it but it's a nice arc for her yeah i I agree and, and then when you look at it that way king wesley makes about as much like he 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 does his job i don't know that the movie gains by fleshing him out actually right unless you the only thing it really gains is you pad out an already too long third act where we're just yeah i I mean all you all that it does is it gives enough context that king wesley is some kind of superficial climber right and the proof is he is bought with money right the end he doesn't Mm -hmm. care about love so much right it was status so if you give it that, if you just let it do that, then it's just kind of fun that you're just like, fine, I believe he's a stuffed shirt. You're not going to show it to me, but you're going to tell me and I'm going to be like, fine. He looks like the stuffed shirts in other movies, so why not? Well, I'm with you, Ben. I just think it's funny that the movie is just like, yeah, he sucks. <laughs> we don't even have to. <laughs> <laughs> the pill of the century. <laughs> uh, well, and you have to remember, this movie is made... In 1934, the depression is going. There is another aspect of fantasy that people enjoy, which is just the stuffed shirts are stupid. And the working man is Clark Gable. I mean, it's silly. It's ridiculous. But (laughs) he's going to get the rich girl. He's going to like earn it. (laughs) (laughs) If we could step back. I mean, we do. That's what this podcast exists to do. You step back and you watch our movies. Now we have our own silly fantasies of who we think we are. But, man, people really like to think, I'm a working man, and I'm Clark Gable, and all those stuffed shirts are just idiots. <laughs> they Look what they did to our country. And this movie's not above that, obviously. Uh, turns out the editor- editors are always swell guys. I think that might be a universal rule of they always bluster and seem mean, but whether it's J. Jonah Jameson, whether it's Superman's boss, whether it's whoever, an editor of a newspaper is always a guy who secretly has a heart of gold. I triple dog dare you guys to name a single exception to this ironclad <laughs> rule of movies. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure there's a billion of them, but The Post, probably that Meryl Streep movie, The, the Post. Uh, no, she's the editor. She's a good guy yeah, in that movie. Yeah, Meryl the Meryl whole Street. movie is about how the news media is. But I bet I have not seen that movie, but I bet anything there's some other editor in the movie who's like, a woman running a paper. <laughs> <laughs> he probably doesn't secretly have a heart Probably I haven't seen it either. Yeah, me neither. Uh, all right. So we get to the end of the movie. The walls of Jericho come down. We don't even need to see our stars again. Like you haven't seen Clark Gable for like five, six minutes. 
right? Yeah. Because he, he goes off, he leaves the party, you have the wedding sequence, she runs away. Maybe it's only three minutes, but it feels like a long time. It's a long time in terms of movie real estate that our star is off screen. Yeah. And then the movie doesn't even feel the need to show either one of them again. I think, do you hear the trumpet blow? Uh-huh. Yeah, we do. Yeah, and we see those two corn pones be like, he wanted a trumpet, I don't understand it. <laughs> 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 oh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, it, I mean, that's where it gets like, <laughs> well, she asked me for a blanket and he asked me to buy some rope and a trumpet. <laughs> yeah, might be a little... What are they going to do with a rope and a blanket and a trumpet? <laughs> like, <Well>. Okay. <laughs> ah, but it's great. Da, 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 da. We see the wall drop. It, we don't have to see anything else. It made me think of Hitchcock's The Ending to North by Northwest. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Here's what this movie's about. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, I love it. Um, <laughs> I think it's great. <laughs> Don't watch it if you're a single young person, man, especially. But I think it's a really fun movie to watch with your significant other. Oh, I did want to make one other quick point, which is, American movies, I think I can say this, are uniquely, this is the story, uh, I, I just don't think this kind of story existed before America and before movies, which is the pull yourself down by your bootstraps narrative. I mean, you can look at like British movies and huh. stuff and it's like, here's how a poor boy made good and lots of American movies are about, but the whole, I'm a, I'm a rich person who needs to aspire to be like a poor person. I just don't think, I think, I think, I think we gave that to a people. Um, go America. There's actually, uh, did either of you see that movie Premium Rush? No. That sounds, the name for it sounds familiar. kind of fun. About a bike messenger. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Oh, yeah. But he's, why is he a bike messenger? Well, he was in law school and then he realized law school is dumb and being a bike messenger is awesome. <laughs> it has that flavor. Yeah. Like, let's go down, like, to where the reality is. And Yeah, Bruce Wayne has to spend... He's got to give his beautiful overcoat to some poor homeless man and he's got to learn how to rough it and get it because he being born with that silver spoon in his mouth, he's never going <laughs> to. I, I, I didn't do the research to be able to bat, really back this up, but it feels like a uniquely American conceit. The rich person who makes good or self-actualizes by, by being poor, essentially. I mean, I can't think of any Dickens or examples. Or simply overcoming their class snobbery. Yeah. I mean, A, you need huh. class transference, whatever the, whatever the word is I want. You need to be able to jump classes either down or up. Mr. Darcy could not be mobility. a pig farmer if he tried. You can't really tell that story. But B, yeah, class mobility. That's what I was looking for. B, you know, even in Jane Austen, as rigid as she is, people will jump up and we will mm-hmm. enjoy the fantasy of people jumping up and people being good and deserving to jump up. But- not down. Yeah. In, in a f- and people failing to jump up after aspiring to or thinking other, <clears throat> being caught up in the romanticism of thinking you can help somebody. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In the other great Jane Austen movie <sighs> and another great taming of the true story. Hmm. I like to think that Jane Austen wrote books instead of made movies. Yes. I like to think that she wrote, made movies, so <laughs> one of us is right, but who knows? Audience, you decide. Call 1-800-SANITY. 
phone. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then write us an email and tell us what happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sanity phone isn't even the right number of digits, but go ahead and call it. See what happens. And and do let us know what happens if you do that, please. <laughs> Listen, Ben, how many carrots out of 14 do you give to it happened one night? I think I give it 12. 12 carrots. I think so. And you're deducting two carrots. Why? Well, it is, it's uncomfortable enough. It's sexual enough that, I don't know. I feel like I should deduct some carrots somehow. I, I enjoy it. My wife liked it. I, I, I can't really tell you why. It's just an intuitive measurement. It's, it's unsophisticated enough in its way. Gosh. Sure. Again, you have to compare it to Philadelphia Story, which is just yeah, I think it, cleaner, fact, more elegant. The fact that we're comparing it to Philadelphia Story isn't helping it probably. But No, but how can you not? I don't know. Especially we chose it. As a comparison point. Yeah. We were trying to live up to giving somebody, to giving you, listener, mm-hmm. what we gave you last year in Philadelphia Story. So Not a lot of Philadelphia Story. It was, it was destined or doomed to be everything that mm-hmm. we do like this from now on will be. I, I think next year we just have to do Quiet Man because it's such a reference point. Yeah. Like, we just, sure. we just need to talk it through. Yeah. I, I don't know why else. I mean, I probably like it more than Philadelphia Story. Like, I liked watching it. It's just fun. Yeah. More fun to watch with my wife than Philadelphia Story. Philadelphia Story, especially the end of Act 2, just goes on for so long with Tracy Lords in the swimming pool and she's mm-hmm. making this speech and then that speech and then having that real... It's just kind of interminable even though I, I do love it and obviously it's a classic jake how many carrots 12 12 carrots yeah you don't um, want to deduct anymore just because you didn't like it 12, as much. 12 was when you threw the number 14 out what i yeah, i was surprised that ben and i hit the same number but that's what but deduct for opposite reasons mm. because it's lacking a certain kind of sexual charge and verve but still a lot of fun and enjoyable and mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I feel like I have to give it 14 carats just to be the 14 carat guy. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's what you want out of a diamond, right? How many carat? No. No, gold. But I don't know anything about jewelry <laughs> at all. <laughs> uh, I can't. You want 24 carats. It just depends on what you want. But if you're like a rich person that can have anything, what's like the, don't you want more? Isn't more carats better than less carats? Bugs Bunny would think so. Clark Cable would think so. Yeah, you want all the carrots. Claudette Kilbert doesn't want a single carrot until she does. I will give this movie 14 carrots. You know, if you're the appropriate person to watch it, then it's a 14 carat thrill ride. Um, (laughs) You put that on the poster, Capra. (laughs) Sanity of the Movies says, it happened one night, 14 carat thrill ride. Uh, Yeah, I love it. I admit, I, I don't think I necessarily really disagree with any of Jake's criticisms. I just... For me, they're more just descriptions of a movie that I think is fun and romantic and all the things. And insofar as if you want to argue that Clark Gable's a little little toxic, it's just fun. You can have a lot of fun with that when you're sitting there with your wife and she's nudging you in the ribs because Clark Gable's <laughs> such a card. It's fun. So, I think it's a 14-carat fun delightful movie. I think you probably will enjoy it if you watch it with your spouse for Valentine's Day, which we're already past. But hey. Every day is Valentine's Day in the Alberson household. That's what my wife is always telling me. Ben, any other thoughts? No other thoughts. No other thoughts. Jake, any other thoughts? I should say no. (laughs) (laughs) I did have one just now. 
do I say it and then I'll cut it out if it's. I, it, I think what robs it of romance for me is the lack of give and take or feel of give and take. That's all. That was sort of my thought just now. She's not as fun to fight. Mm. Or, and the triumph is therefore cheaper. I don't know. Just a thought that I had. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm leaving that in. I think that's an interesting thought. I, I think for me, she's fun to fight. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think the movie could have given her a few more victories and not have, have her breach the, mm-hmm. breach the wall of Jericho when she does. But if my comparison point is Marina O'Hara or Catherine Hepburn, then... Yeah, I don't like either of those women. Well, I like Marina O'Hara. I like Marina O'Hara. Marina O'Hara is actually the one that's kind of the most attractive of all three of them. Right. Um, attractive in the sense I of I wonder being. if The Quiet Man doesn't split the difference. I, that's that's what I'm wondering. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I've never seen it. In my At least in my mind, it does. But I in, think that I think we'll have to litigate that. Mm-hmm. In my mind, it does. Some other time. And I think everybody lumps The Quiet Man in with McClintock, which is the cartoon version, but... Not fair. Not fair. So so much so that people... I've, I've heard more than one person say, oh, The Quiet Man, the one where he spanks her. No, he doesn't. That doesn't happen in The Quiet Man. You just made that up. You Mandela affected it because that's what you think happens in all John Wayne movies. But actually, it only happens in McClintock. Here's a stick to beat the lovely yeah, lady. Yeah, it's, it's got that, that does happen. That does happen. I mean, it, it certainly plays with Thanks. that. Thanks. <laughs> it plays with that dynamic, but I think it actually plays with it in a pretty fair way. But we'll litigate that a year from now. All right. In the meantime, you've got this 14 carat gem slash 12, I guess, split the, what do you call that? Where you put the numbers together? And, yeah, average it. Yeah. The average would be a 13 carat movie. So, I think. Is that <laughs> how the average? less than 13. Like 12.7 or something. So you got a yeah. 12.7 carat movie. That's a lot of carrots. That's more carrots than Tenet got. I mean, come on. Uh, <laughs> so. Tenet. <laughs> <laughs> Tenet's like a zero carat movie. Sorry, Tenet heads. Uh, listen, guys, uh, you know who I like? is Keith. He deserves the Patron Choice Award of Awesomeness. And Ben, why do you think that is true of Keith? Well, I just think Keith would know what to do if he saw a damsel in distress on a road trip. He would just be able to protect her. And probably he would do a better job than Clark Gable of maintaining the bounds of propriety. <laughs> As he woos her away from her husband. Right. Just he, kidding. He wouldn't do that. He it's, wouldn't do that. It's, it's, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Correct. If they were both single? Then he would uh, still protect the bounds of propriety. Yep. You know, he would get two rooms. There's a thought. Clark Gable. Couldn't afford it. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure the movie mm-hmm. stacks the deck. Mm-hmm. It does. <laughs> but, but Keith wouldn't stack the deck. No. No. He'd be a gentleman all the way. And that's why he's our patron choice award of awesomeness winner. Oh, by the way, there's one thing that we forgot to mention and that we do have to litigate. You got that whole Seinfeld routine about donuts. Oh, yeah. Is Clark Gable, Gable correct? Mm. He's a little abrupt. He's pretty fast. Yes. Yeah. I think you need a little bit, a little bit longer of a, of a soak in that coffee if you're going to dunk. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's actually a metaphor for the complementary roles of the sexes. You, you can't dunk your donut forever and you can't dunk it abruptly. You got to find that middle ground. You put Colbert, they're going to have a baby. That baby's going to dunk his donut perfectly. Until next time. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a d-